Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks, episode 100. Holy crap. We've been doing this for so Ooh. long. Uh, this, this, of course, is Jay. Hi, Jay. I'm Shanna. Oh, I need God. to find my dad. <laughs> my, my dad. My dad. Uh, my dad. Uh, second film, Alien from L.A. Uh, what a voice, <laughs> Kathy. Uh, first film, as you pointed out, could also be called Alien from L.A. Right, yeah, Tom Cruise picture, Mission Impossible. Uh, the original 1996 start to the film franchise, which uh, kind of is explicitly a continuation of the TV series in this version. And it doesn't really come up in the sequels. So my understanding is that Phelps is the hero from the original TV show. Phelps and um, Barnes. Barnes. Uh, who is played by, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh uh wow it's not in the cast list on here weird uh fairly one of the like, original team yeah he's like one of the original dudes he's at the end on the train uh and he's like he's sort of the guy kitridge is always like do this do that and oh all right oh we'll see about you know the old white-haired guy uh oh that guy okay yeah he he's like Maybe better known as a TV presenter these days, I think. Mm. Uh, uh, Peter Graves. Peter Graves. That's that's the dude. Oh, I've heard that name. Yeah, I'm Peter Graves. Uh, he, he did a lot of uh, uh, introducing on A&E back in the day, I believe. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, th that's sort of the weird thing is that this is a direct continuation of that series. We have original team members all sort of hanging out there. One of them... Uh, I guess that was sort of controversial at the time is that one of them becomes the villain. I don't know if Voight played him in the original show. I, oh, I, I have never seen the original show. I, I have no idea, honestly. Oh, wait. Okay. Phelps used to be played by Peter Graves. Oh, okay. So maybe that's where I'm confused because in, I, I thought that was Peter Graves who's playing the other dude, but who's playing Barnes that is but maybe I'm mistaken or maybe they did bring him in as Barnes just to you know as you know what I'm saying right yeah yeah <laughs> just uh, to have him there yeah uh but no I guess he's not Who the hell played Barnes then uh Mission Impossible uh Frank Barnes oh, it's Dale Die, I guess who I don't think he was on the original one. He, he's like a, a military guy. Okay. Uh, I, I thought he was also in the original series because he kind of, he, like, he's always with the original team when they do the original team coming in and doing a very classic TV version of a mission later in the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, from 1996, director Brian De Palma, who we've talked about a couple times recently, we did Carrie and... His subsequent film, uh, Snake Eyes. Uh, yeah, this this definitely feels like a De Palma film. There's a lot of the De Palma signatures in there. Uh, it's interesting to look at, which is not... Like, it's interestingly shot, which I find a lot of action movies aren't these days. I think especially these days. They've gotten very factory line. It's the previs stuff. So they've 
designed everything in a certain way. So you just kind of have to fit your other stuff around it. So you can't have a lot of personal style. You got to have house style, which mm, is right. the, the Marvel thing, basically. Or yeah. you know, the same with DC. DC has its own version of it. Uh-huh. Uh, the comic bookization of uh, blockbuster filmmaking, because it's, it's kind of all that exists now. Most movies are comic book movies in terms of the, the high budget stuff. Oh my God, you're right, aren't Yeah, you are. I can't think of any really recent ones that aren't comic book or comic book adjacent. And I feel like this series is sort of the last standing that isn't. Because Fast and the Furious, it's not based on a comic book, but they're comic book characters. That's a comic book series. <laughs> that is a comic book movie, Fast Five. <laughs> or a superhero movie, for sure. Yeah, their, uh, their superpower is cars. Yeah, they're, they're car people. Yeah, they're real good at cars. <laughs> Batman is... doesn't have a superpower either. It's fine. That's true, yeah. And, you know, well, Batman's superpower is he's rich. Well, yeah. <laughs> yep. The best uh, superpower of all. What's kind of cool about this movie is it sort of works as an origin story for Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. But not really intentionally in this movie, because I don't know if they're really thinking much of setting up sequels, but... And and certainly there's nothing of it in Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> so Ethan Hunt, the character, isn't in the original series? No. Okay. I, I don't believe so. He's just, he is the Tom Cruise character. I mean, Tom Cruise is a producer on this series. A lot of this is uh, his creative energy. Like, he's one of the main creative voices in this franchise. Like, this is I can his franchise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... I could definitely see it even as early as this one. There is some Tom Cruise, yeah, some Tom Cruise voice in there. Yeah, and it's interesting because it sort of reflects his movie career in a lot of ways. Each of these, the 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 big changes in his movie career are like seen in the Mission Impossible movies, especially his first few. So th this one, sort of getting ahead of ourselves, but uh, his whole team, the first team gets killed off really early in the movie just they're all gone yeah i had forgotten that it happened because they were they were all hanging out and being pals and stuff it's like oh man this is a cool team that i'd like to get to know just like the fast and the furious team over the course of several movies but i but won't no 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 not a chance um but this sort of serves as what sort of drives the Ethan Hunt of the later movies where they actually have sort of an idea of how to make it a franchise and they start to rebuild the team with characters who've shown up in other movies. Like Luther is a regular coming back. Oh, right on. I, I like him. Yeah. Ving Rhames is great in this. And they, he has, he, he's the rare person who has kind of an easygoing chemistry with Tom Cruise, not something that many people can do. And I think that's why, <laughs> This movie is set up the way it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because like in these early scenes, you see him friendly and hanging out with the team and it doesn't, it, it doesn't work. Like you watch him and it's like, I don't buy it. I, I can't see him as a chill <laughs> hang who's making jokes about bad coffee. Don't, I don't buy it. <laughs> no, no, he is Tom Cruise in the middle of some guys talking about coffee. But yeah, like sticks I, out. yeah, yeah. I like I buy him uh, riding on top of a train fighting a helicopter. I can buy him uh, rappelling into uh, a black site. Those those work. Those are great. And him just 
being totally overwhelmed by all the people around him. I can see that too. Him just kind of laughing and making jokes and like, <laughs> it's better than your coffee. It's like, wow, this clash is so weird and is not fitting. And it's like the movie is designed to be like, okay, Tom Cruise can't hang out with people. That that doesn't really work. Uh, <laughs> let's show why he can never be a chill hang ever again, because he's just been completely traumatized. It really comes through here because yeah. after the initial opening, he is not thinking rationally. He does not have a good plan. It just happens to work out because he's Tom Cruise and everything works out for Tom Cruise. Well, everything works out for Ethan Hunt. That's yeah. his superpower, I guess, is that when <laughs> things are pressed to the limit, he is the only person who can do the impossible. You know, he, right. He's he's the one who can do an impossible mission because he has to. It's it's like what he's designed to do. Like when mm -hmm. when like the Bible thing later, where he just pulls it out of a hat and is like the Bible. Oh, that well, that's the answer. It's Job three fourteen. Like, okay, we've got this. And we'll email this person, and he just magics the solution. <laughs> that is, you know, I never thought about it, but yeah. Yeah. Nobody can come <laughs> up with that. Nobody's solving that. <laughs> but he he has to like pull these threads together and make it work. And that's sort of how all of these movies do it. It's just he it's you know path through uh, uh, apocalypse. Like he's just going to find the perfect thread and just just make it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so we open in Kiev. Uh, with <laughs> this is the first time we've got the masks. I really love Ethan Hunt in disguise as this old Russian guy. Oh yeah, I I did not realize it was him. It's a very good mask stuff, all practical at this point. Whereas it, it becomes more digital effectsy in later ones. Like number three oh. is ridiculous with mask technology. They're just everybody. N nobody's who they seem to be everybody's like getting <laughs> faked out by masks and voice changers i'm just imagining that uh that bugs bunny daffy duck thing where they're just each of them is taking turns ripping off the poster that says duck season or rabbit season but it's masks i mean yeah it's it's kind of along those lines it's sort of i think there is at least one point where there's two masks on i, I <laughs> do feel like that happens at some point but yeah i mean they get very absurd with it and then they kind of lay off it a bit by the later ones i haven't seen the most recent one. i don't know if that's out yet but uh you know the the later ones are great they're really great okay well cool yeah no like two turned me off of ever watching another one of these i saw right. the theater and same here yeah. no i mean yeah so this first one i saw on vhs at the time i didn't catch it in theater but uh yeah we i i went to fucking mi2 opening day in 2000 and it stunk i i never <laughs> went back like it, it took until this the the six disc set from paramount came out i was like i'll pick that up and uh checked out all of them and like hey these later ones are really good uh the second one real bad still <laughs> the limp biscuit opening song oh. my god time has not been kind to it like it no. was bad at the time and it feels extremely dated in a way that's not fun to me i mean maybe it's just because i have very little nostalgia for that specific era like 99 to 2001 2002 is just like such a fucking bad era for everything pop culture 
Yeah, it wasn't a good time. There's like there there are bright spots, but a lot sure, of that sure. shit is fucking terrible. Most of the like the really big blockbuster stuff I can't fucking stand anymore. I can't even name besides the Matrix another blockbuster that came out of that era that I liked. Yeah, I mean I probably could if pressed. Gladiator. I sure, really like I Gladiator. could. Th- oh yeah, okay. Gladiator. Yeah, no. If I were trying to think of one, I'm sure I could, but yeah. off the top of my head, no. Yeah, and like Fight Club is sort oh. of one, but it's like because that's ninety. It's not two thousand. It's ninety nine or two thousand. Nine. I thought it. Yeah, ninety nine or two thousand. It's which, in there. I mean, it has the cult following, but at the time, I think it was a flop. So I, I don't know if we'd really call it a blockbuster. But I don't think stuff. of Fight Club as a block blockbuster. <laughs> no, it was advertised as one, and I remember like seeing these advertisements. And like, this looks like dog shit, but I went with a big group (laughs) of friends on opening day because it looked so comically bad. It was like, yeah, let's all go and fucking, you know, dunk on it. And then it was great. I'm like, holy shit. How how is this so badly advertised? (laughs) But my first, my first experience with that movie was similar. I was at the movie store, whatever it was I wanted to rent was out, but it's like, Hey, let's, I don't know. Let's make fun of Brad Pitt fighting in a basement, I guess. (laughs) Oh, I was so hyped for it by the time it came out on DVD. Like, I was there to get it opening day. I must have watched <laughs> it, like, five times that day. Mm. <laughs> anyway, Mission Impossible. We we have the opening scene with where uh, he, uh, Ethan Hunt is in disguise. He's pretending to be this Russian guy to get some info. Like, we're at the end of a mission. We're, we're seeing yeah. a mission concluding. And uh, Emilio Estevez as... Was it like Jack Davis or something? It's Jack. Ja- oh, that's that's Emilio. Holy yeah. shit! Jack Harmon. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, he's yeah, he's the the most familiar face to me when I saw this, other than Tom Cruise. So when he dies, just a little bit down the line, it's like holy shit! Whoa! Especially because the movie <laughs> is introduced from his point of view. He's the first character you're introduced to. Yeah, he's he's watching the thing. I thought he was actually watching a like an old film it does have kind of a a silly old like an actual mission impossible tv episode energy to it Mm -hmm. so like they they knock the dude out that they're hoaxing they're doing kind of like an fx thing where it's a fake movie set that like all breaks away and people are in makeup and masks and everything's (laughs) fake yeah, just to fool this one guy to give them an information or whatever. They're trying to get his contact's name, this guy, Dimitri. And then, right. yeah, they knock the guy out. All the walls just fall away. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you did it. You know, uh, Tom Cruise pulls the Russian guy mask off. <laughs> it was Tom Cruise the whole time. He's so cool. Tom Cruise is kind of cool, though. He's really cool at this point. And then he becomes extremely uncool in part two. And then the rest of the series is him regaining his cool. Mm, okay. It took a few movies because like number three, <laughs> it, it was successful, but people were like, that is him digging out of the hole that he dug with two and all of like the interpersonal stuff around two. Yeah, that was, that was around like the Tom Cruise breakdown era, wasn't it? It was the Tom Cruise breakdown era, because you'll remember that terrible Scientology video that leaked out with him encouraging the troops, and it it plays the fucking Mission Impossible uh, Limp Bizkit version the whole time he's doing it. 
so it's like directly tied in with that and then you know the the big oprah freak out where he's jumping on yeah. the couch that was contemporary with this that was like him yeah. with the the mission impossible 2 haircut oh god right <laughs> so i mean that, that movie all... it got Holy poisoned <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so there, there's this thing where uh the 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 lady uh has been under for too long sarah davies who i guess is supposed to be ethan's girlfriend more or less okay uh i wasn't sure is Kristen scott Kristen scott thomas's character who again seems like just gonna stick around seems like you know they have this whole established rapport yeah like i I thought these guys were all going to stick around. I for, I had seen this way back, way, way back in the theater. And the only thing I remembered was the twist and the repelling scene. So I forgot about everything else that happens in this opening. And it shocked me. Yeah, I mean, it, it is very well deployed as a twist that this whole team goes down. And then, uh, I mean, that's one of the fun things about this series is that a lot of the time, they're not really dealing with an external threat. They're dealing with an IMF threat. Like IMF itself tends to be the problem in so many of these movies. <laughs> it is in this one. Yeah. I mean, mostly. I and mean, there's a defector involved, but yeah, it's all yeah. it's all internal bullshit. Kind of like Impress file, but you know, much more kind blockbuster of. styled. Yeah, this is like in between Ipcris and Bond, I think. Right. I mean, it becomes more i mean it becomes even more maximal than bond in the later ones but much more grounded like it's it's in the the craig era so it's doing much more grounded stuff okay but like you know it sort of becomes somewhere in between bond and fast and furious because he gradually rebuilds a team and has fun people around him and fun stuff happening it's i don't know it becomes a ride they they really become movies the ride right Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I do enjoy those every now and again. Totally, and I I do kind of feel like the later entries of the series are among the best of those. Okay, that's good to know. So yeah, they there's this thing Davies has been under too long. Like she's supposed to be playing dead, and they have her unconscious with some sort of serum. But you know they they wake her up and she's okay, and then the credits start with. The fucking great theme song. The one of the iconic theme songs of all time. All time banger. Uh, you know, that yeah. trill and bump, 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 bump. Fucking rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Danny and, Elfman version. This one here. Yep. I was going to say it's a, such an iconic theme song that nobody could ruin it, but well, that's not true. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, Limp Biscuit were up to the task, but uh, Danny Elfman <laughs> does a pretty serviceable version of it. I don't love the score to this movie so much it could have used more mission impossible score to it i kind of feel it feels elfman-y rather it's, than impossibly yeah it's kind of too hectic in places like i i was thinking especially in that really great scene with aquarium when you know the whole place is uh water is coursing out into the street it should be a pretty clean mission impossible theme but you got just too much Danny Elfman business around it, you know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think it's not it's not bad. I, I think it's perfectly all right, but I, I could have used it maybe a little more traditional in this one. Because this mm-hmm. feels much more traditional. It, it really does, yeah. And I'm going to say I, I don't 
love the Elfman version of the theme song. I, I no, preferred I the original. I, I, totally I don't agree. hate it. Yeah, it's fine. It works. And, you know, it still gets you vibed up, especially with that opening trill and then the just fucking huge drums coming in. But, uh, yeah, it's not as good. It really isn't. Mm-hmm. So we go, we go to Jim Phelps, John Voigt, uh, in his melting era where he's, <laughs> he, he's on a plane and someone's like, can we offer you some cinema of the Ukraine? Oh, well, I'm not a fan of, or yeah, it is. It's a whole code word thing. Yeah. She's got all, all these tapes, the, the classic self-destructing tape of uh, mm. the mission impossible opening of a mission. I thought Inspector Gadget invented self-destructing mission briefings. <laughs> I had no idea. Oh, completely stolen from Mission Impossible. One hundred percent. And like this is kind of how all of the Inspector Gadget missions begin. Like he's basically an IMF agent, but like the crappy IMF agent. It's it's sort right. of like Mission Impossible get smart. Inspector Gadget, sort of like uh, moving down the line to more and more <laughs> cartoony versions of the same thing. Mm-hmm. So for, for their mission, the target is Alexander Golitsyn, who is in who who's like an attache to the Prague Embassy. And right, and he's stolen or is stealing. Has stolen a has half stolen. one half of the knock list, the CIA knock list. So uh, all of the names of active agents. Uh, but he needs the other. I think he's got the half with the code name and needs the half with the real names to match right. up with it. Either way, whatever he's got is useless on its own. Yeah, he, he's got to get the other half. But together, it's the most devastating thing to have out of the open. Yeah, really bad. You know, a whole bunch of people are going to get killed. It's the same thing Trump did. So it is exactly <laughs> what Trump did, but he didn't. Oh, fuck. Uh, he he somehow didn't become a supervillain or he did, but, you know, not so publicly but uh the plan is that they're going to photograph the deal so they're going to let him steal it then follow him photograph the deal and catch both him and the buyer yeah good plan it's a terrible plan it's so fucking convoluted (laughs) and it just means that they're going to have this information out in the wind which yeah if anything goes wrong i mean this all this information's out there yeah, a really stupid plan, I would say, in that regard. But, <laughs> you know, that that's the classic IMF thing. And, of course, you know, if anyone is caught or killed, the secretary will disavow all knowledge of your actions. Of course. That's a big thing. That's, that's classic. Uh, that comes up. Yeah. People get disavowed. I mean, people get disavowed in all of these movies. I mean, Ethan Hunt gets disavowed like every other movie. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Just keeps happening to him. Although... Considering the twist at the end, it does make sense for this to be a stupid plot that's doomed to fail. It is. Because it has to fail. There are a few things that, like, on a rewatch, I laugh so hard at. Because, <laughs> like, you, you don't really realize how goofy they are until you rewatch them. Especially the the faking of uh, uh, Phelps's uh, <laughs> fall into the river and stuff. That's so funny on rewatches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the... Well, the I mean- Please. It's it's telegraphed. If you know it's coming, yeah. you can really see it. Coming. You can really, really see it. You can't unmiss it. You can't unsee it. <laughs> yep. 
So the, the plan is Ethan and Sarah are going to attend the party in disguise. He's going to be like the Southern Senator. <laughs> Tom Cruise is like an old Kentucky Senator. It's, it's funny. Hilarious. It's really well done. Uh, and uh, Jack uh, Emilio is going to be hacking the elevator shaft, like up in it. He's going to be controlling the elevators from inside. Yeah. And there's Claire, the, the last person of the team, who is Jim Phelps's wife. Uh, She's about a third his age, I figure. Yeah, uh, it's weird. Emmanuel Baird, uh, I have. Do you ever see this '80s movie, Date with an Angel? Probably not, but total maybe. fucking crap. Uh, it, it is a movie where she plays an angel who gets hit by a satellite and falls into this guy's pool uh, on the night <laughs> of his bachelor party. Oh, fuck okay she, she's got a broken wing and she only speaks celestial language so it's the entire movie emmanuel bear claire going oh, brother, oh, oh. <laughs> oh i'm just imagining her doing this <laughs> I, I mean i guess they were kind of not sure about how much english she could speak because she's mostly a french actress up to that point uh, okay. and, yeah. Oh, it's it's terrible. It's so bad. <laughs> anyway, her, uh, she is going to be the getaway driver. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's also Hannah, who's going to be shadowing Galitzin outside with like binoculars and a gun. I think. Mm -hmm. uh, Hannah has very little to do and disappears fast. Yeah, I actually kind of forgot about her until you brought her up. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, like, that's all the team. And like, oh, yeah, no, wait, no, there's also Hannah. Yeah, I was thinking, wasn't there the person, like, on top of the stairs, whoever yeah. that was? Uh, well, that's Sarah at first. And then, yeah, I don't know. They're, they're, well, there's yeah. both Sarah and Hannah are both uh, moving around in the party. And then right. Hannah's outside because she's watching Galitzin. Mm-hmm. So this is the scene where they're laying out the plan. Ethan makes his jokes about bad coffee. Uh, it, it's just, he doesn't do camaraderie well. It's it's the one place he really clashes in this movie. Because I think Cruz is pretty good in this movie. I, I think he is. Um, Not as good as yeah. he is in Eyes Wide Shut, which is the next mm -hmm. thing he does. He is excellent in that, although he's kind of playing himself sort of it's another one where he's examining his persona or his persona is sort of being publicly examined as part of the plot of the movie and i feel like that's totally happening here with it's like okay this camaraderie it's not working later on we're gonna get rid of all these people we'll have him <laughs> running running he can do <laughs> oh man tom cruise can run he loves to run hanging from wire he can hang from some wires oh man oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> flopping around on top of a fast-moving train oh absolutely <laughs> what he's born to do hanging from hanging by one hand from something moving really fast that's <laughs> that's tom cruise in a nutshell so Ethan will be in disguise as senator john walter democrat from virginia <laughs> he's so southern and so ridiculous he's kind of playing joe biden too he's, he's very of. joe biden -y. it's it's quite amusing <laughs> well listen here jack yeah so the the gadgets in this are pretty simple like they're kind of first year james bond style other than the masks which are obviously very elaborate uh yeah yeah we've got the camera glasses which are pretty cool sure yep 
they uh they yeah. they broadcast to a watch that's nice yep classic spy stuff i love it and the exploding gum i love the exploding <laughs> gum it's so good <laughs> it's red and green gum you mash it together and it explodes awesome yep yeah throw it at anything and it just sticks to the thing and blows it up yeah so during the mission they're at the party and we do get a lot of shots of people looking at them uh, and mm-hmm. it's it's more we're supposed to be watching what they're doing but if you're paying attention you see a lot of people watching what they're doing yeah there there's a couple later on outside who is not subtle about it most of them are not super subtle about it on on subsequent watches you're like oh yeah i mean those not. people are on the team or you know, yeah some i didn't team. catch I didn't catch him uh, at first. You will on a on a second watch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it. So uh, something goes wrong uh, with the elevators first, uh, and th- this is before something really goes wrong with the elevators. Uh, because oh, yeah, he hasn't got control fast enough or something. Yeah, he's supposed to, like uh, Emilio is supposed to be up in the elevators, and he's supposed to open it up, and he's supposed to also send the information to a fingerprint scanner so that they can get in and the thing that really kind of gives away the whole thing that it's kind of unreal that it takes ethan as long as it does to figure it out even (laughs) though he does figure it out way before the villain realizes it Mm -hmm. is we see phelps has remote access to all of the elevator tech because it's not working so he's the one who opens the door for them yeah it's like oh man i the hacker who am on the scene cannot do the fingerprint thing in time that's okay i got it it's like it's all right i've got it well we'll we'll, i've i can uh handle that remotely i'm like hmm well okay do i need to be in the elevator shaft yes Yes. yeah yeah We, we still need you there for things for things we still need you to do some more hacking stuff i guess yeah yeah so they do manage to uh video uh gullets and stealing the other part of the list you know using the camera glasses mm-hmm. and everyone heads out but this is where the elevator malfunctions and jack is like really gruesomely killed <laughs> oh yeah like these <laughs> like this is a video game death right here he gets elevated up into ceiling spikes yeah they're they like come out to get into like they they specifically pierce into his eyes <laughs> which is super gruesome and it makes and just this really gross noise and just Ugh. and phelps is like hey i know i had full control of the, the elevator last time but this time i just don't for he's some like, reason uh, he's like uh, uh he's 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 gone like, oh okay and then phelps says ethan stay where you are i'm coming for you uh and the the mission is aborted and Ethan's like, uh, no, we can't deport the mission. He's got the fucking list right there. Yeah, I see him right there. He's over there. I can follow him right now. The The list is in the wind. I'm not stopping the mission <laughs> yeah, while it's ab- still there. Are you crazy? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, no, no, you gotta abort. <laughs> so he's like, nah, nah. And he starts going after him. So he passes Claire, who's still in the getaway car at this point. Yep. And... They exchange looks, so he knows, uh, like, they both know that they've seen each other. Mm-hmm. And we see Phelps, quote-unquote, get shot. Now, <laughs> it's so obvious when you're re-watching it, after, after you've seen it once or twice, 
that it's his own hand turning the gun around towards the camera that like you can see him turn the like they actually include him turning his own wrist towards it which is so funny and so good like every time i watch it i i laugh so hard now because it's like oh look at him he's turning like how is he fooled <laughs> but he is fooled I mean, I guess he's looking on a really tiny watch screen, so they figure it'll uh, work that way, and it does. Yeah, he's, he's got a lot on his mind right now. <laughs> Him just tumbling off uh, the bridge into the water is also very funny. <laughs> Looking at his bloody hands like, <laughs> yeah. Ethan! Uh, Ethan, uh... I don't even know what he, he's, he tells him I to do. I can't remember what he says, but he's yeah. like, Ethan, my god! Uh... But he makes it sort of look like someone else did it. That, that we're supposed to well, believe that it was done to him. We are supposed <laughs> to believe this, yes. So he runs back to the car and he sees Hannah get in the uh, passenger side and it explodes. Boom. So he assumes that Claire and Hannah are both killed in this explosion because he did see her, see Claire in the car just before. Yeah. We we don't see her though. We just we only really see Hannah. We can't tell if she's there or not. And Sarah chased after Galitzin because uh, Ethan went to go figure out what's going on with Hunt or with Phelps, uh, which you know is he runs to the bridge. Sarah follows Galitzin and he goes to where they are, and they're both stabbed to death, both Galitzin and uh, Sarah. Yeah, by a mysterious assailant on the other side of a grate, a gloved <laughs> hand with a knife. A very distinctive knife which a we're going to see a distinctive knife actually yeah uh, and the list is gone they've lost it yeah and they're all dead except for ethan right that's not a good position to be in in one of these sort of situations so he calls up kitridge his like i guess he's the main guy at am imf right now he, he's got to be like yeah. the lead yeah or yeah one of the leads or the next couple guys up the chain or whatever yeah, and Kittredge is like, all right, location green, one hour. It's like, wait a second, you're in Prague? What's going yeah, don't on? Don't think too hard about that. <laughs> like, uh, well, that's that's not great. Uh, that that's a problem. <laughs> so then we have that great scene in Aquarium. What a fucking cool location this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the bar that's all uh, aquariums, just yeah, huge floors <laughs> of aquariums, water everywhere. It's so, oh yeah, it's so cool. And he's, he, he thinks he's reporting to Kittredge, but ends up being confronted by him. Yeah, basically, it's sort of in between. He doesn't realize he's suspected until like halfway through their discussion. Because, you know, he comes to report to him. Uh, and he realizes pretty quickly that every single person in the place is another IMF agent who he saw at the party. Yep. And then he has the realization, he's like, oh shit, this whole thing was a bull hunt. Yeah, because uh, Kittredge is like, you seem hell-bent on blaming yourself, Ethan. And <laughs> Ethan's like, who else is left? And that's when it kind of dawns on him, like, oh shit, I'm the only one left. And mm -hmm. he, he like realizes all of the, like, he, he points out all of the people in the room, like, this is where I saw them at the party, this is where I saw that person at the party. It's like, you're worried about me. Why? <laughs> well so this is where it comes out it, it was a mole hunt this this whole thing was just an internal investigation we were trying to scare this mole out galitzin was with us he wasn't actually a bad guy 
Uh, <laughs> and nobody has the actual list. Yeah, we we did lose it. Uh, we're after this arms dealer named Max. And all we know is that it's job 314. And uh, that, that's really all we know. Galitzin stole... Uh, it, it's... It's actually a decoy list that he stole at this second uh-huh. point, which is pretty key. Yep. And then, you know, uh, Kittredge is finally like, and you survived. I like Kittredge. He has kind of like an Agent Smith sort of uh, demeanor yeah. and way of talking. He, he's really effective as, as like the authority figure who means well, but he's also scary. Yeah, because he seems like he could be a villain. Like he, he does sort of read like you. Ultimately, we are supposed to suspect him. That's who Phelps is trying to frame for what he's doing. Uh-huh. Much like in uh, Ipcrest file again, it's the the two different handlers. Yeah. No, I'm working for Dubby. You're working for Ross. No, I'm working for Dubby. You're working for Ross. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're doing kind of that same thing here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Kitridge, the, he, he mentions that uh, Cruz's family farm just somehow received 120 grand out of nowhere. Oh, that's real lucky. Yeah. And Ethan is just like, yeah, well, the thing about that is, and he he uses the gum, he throws it against <laughs> one of the the fish tanks, and just fucking bolts. <laughs> he outruns the rushing water like only Tom Cruise can. It's awesome. It is so cool. The just that that one shot where he throws the gum on and it explodes. It makes a sound, and <laughs> one waiter just goes flying straight out the window from on the <laughs> writing the impact of the explosion and it's like tom cruise is just running away <laughs> <laughs> poor creatures is like oh shit nobody can catch a running tom cruise not a chance what's interesting is he's able to return to the safe house because they don't know he's there somehow imf doesn't know where their own safe house is yeah that's because that's where they hang out the rest of the time in uh prague yeah, see, I always kind of wondered about that. It's like they they didn't revoke his access to the online portal or whatever it is. Uh, he still has all the technology and can make his masks do his machines. Yeah, it's sort I of guess... weird because like later ones will make a little bit more out of it when he's disavowed that it, it there, there's a little bit more of a barrier to him getting access to all this stuff. But in this one, he just gets it. It's fine. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> If I'm trying to justify it, the best thing I can think of is Phelps set up this safe house without IMF knowing. I mean, yeah, I guess it could totally be a thing where the it, it does seem to be the IMF organization has so many double blinds. You know, they're doing just one of these mall hunts. It does sort of work for me that <laughs> they, they would just have so many double blinds and not know where their own safe houses are, I guess. Yep, yep. And, and also, he gets the technology because... Phelps needed Tom Cruise to steal the real list. Right, right. Very important. So he gets back to the safe house. All of the bug out money has already disappeared, which is like, okay, so someone took it. (laughs) Yeah, and nobody in the world seems to know this place exists. So he's looking around the room and he sees the Bible and he figures out the Job 314 thing. 
it just in his mind. He just does it. it he puts it <laughs> yeah, together in not, his computer. <laughs> it's not Job three hundred and fourteen. It's Job three verse fourteen. Yeah, he it's, looks. He yeah. sees the Bible. He's like, "Oh, Bible." Well, I mean that that that'll tell me what, what it is right there. Uh, <laughs> so he's he goes on the internet. <laughs> he, oh, I love this bit because it's nineteen ninety five. So the internet is still very new like it's been around of course but to the public it's very very new brand new yeah this is like a couple years before i got online personally this is well before i did he they didn't have google but he searches up the he searches the internet for bible it gets 128 (laughs) (laughs) not a lot of results it's pretty small there are 128 mentions of the bible on the whole internet i love it yeah and he's he's looking for this book of job discussion group website and there's a bunch of them in different languages which is interesting (laughs) yeah so he guesses the email is max at job 314 at all these different sites which i don't like the way the internet never worked like this okay i I was on the internet circle like 98 you know a couple years after this and it was not like this ever (laughs) yeah i don't i i assume that it isn't but it's not totally dissimilar like they did have discussion groups like this that was never how email worked so you know (laughs) it's it's sort of crazy watching that and it's like wow this is so strange it feels like a dream version of someone being on the internet. This is how I would use the internet in a dream. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> so the line that he finds for Job 314 is, uh, I would be asleep and at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins. Oh. So he, th- this is what he sends with his, uh, like it's, it's how he frames all of his stuff is, uh, lines from that portion of the bible right yeah when and then he gets a response from a max yeah ultimately although that's later so oh he, is it later okay comically he falls asleep writing emails like he's writing emails and he gets really <laughs> tired i don't know how many he's supposed to be sending like how many different <laughs> languages these are in we only see him doing two but i like him just getting tired and falling asleep because emails are so hard it's not like it's not like running man you gotta no. you gotta think i mean to be fair he had been doing a lot of running earlier so he's he's running out of steam uh but uh he has a nightmare about jim returning but it's it, it turns out to actually be uh claire of course yeah she survived which is suspicious yeah because she was he saw her in that car they made eye contact yeah, and then she's like, well, where's Jim? It's like, Jim's dead. Everyone's dead. <laughs> they're all, they're all they're dead. They're all dead, Dave. He, he's just, it, it's it's some of his biggest acting up to this point. <laughs> he is so trying to get across that he's upset that they're dead. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she, she sort of convinces him because it, the plan was to show up at the safe house uh, at 4 a.m. if uh the mission were aborted she's like well that's why i'm here you know i i got a message from jim that uh, and then i was on the bridge like you weren't on the bridge i was on the bridge (laughs) (laughs) and i saw you in the car and like well i got out of the car i mean obviously i'm alive here right now i was not in the car clearly yeah yeah so he he chills out 
he he gives her the plan. I'm going to steal the real knock list. There's a real Ethan Hunt sort of solution to the, the issue. <laughs> so, yeah, he's going to steal the knock list, set up a meeting with Max, and then just, it'll all work itself out. Well, it'll flush them all out of hiding because he'll have yeah. the real knock list and they're going to want that money. He's going to get involved in the deal. And he's going to just flush them out. Yeah. All right, sure. So this is when he gets a, a response back from Max, uh, and he there, there's a setup for where he he has to buy a pack of cigarettes and get a match from a guy, and then a, a, a Mercedes pulls up and they bundle him into it with a, a mask over his head. Yeah, yeah, it's like black bag. I shouldn't have to have a black bag. I'm Tom Cruise. He really That's turns the on the charm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he does though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When they, they take him to Max and he's like still in the thing. It's like, well, I, I thought I was going to see Max. And he, he just kind of charms them into like, oh, come on, you can take it off. Come on. I'm confident, you know, I'm going to I'm going to manage this whole thing. Listen, yeah. my plan is you're going to give me one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. How about that? <laughs> you You think we're just going to show you the money? Yeah. And he he basically tells her the whole truth. He he doesn't even lie to her. He's like, well, listen, yeah. the thing is I've been disavowed. <laughs> and I really <laughs> need some walking around money to start things out here. But <laughs> he's like, I really want to get a hold of Job because uh, I want to find out why I've been disavowed. He's the one who knows what's going on here. I got to talk to this guy about it. <laughs> so also... Listen, Max, the list you got, I mean, it's its garbage. You, you, it's going to have a tracker on it. It's a decoy. It's not going to work. Uh, you turn that on within 90 seconds, you're going to have a whole team of IMF agents in here. Which is exactly what happens. Yeah, she she turns it on. And uh, the old school TV Mission Impossible team show up and they do a whole thing. And it's it's cute. They're all older folks. And it feels like they were all actually on the TV show. Mm. It, kind of it, it reminds like it. it kind of reminds me of the uh what is it the the tx88 from ipcris file where they all like yeah. come in and storm the place totally and you know they they're all in disguise and they all get in you know each of them pretending to be maids or whatever yeah stuff. or like pest control or whatever <laughs> yeah and they, but they come in and max has already taken off and she's oh yeah max is a she by the way yep i, I is it short for maxine <laughs> Not going to tell you. He's like, oh, I find uh, uh, anonymity to be a real uh, uh, wonderful thing in my line of work. Vanessa Redgrave is really fun as Max. She's really enjoying herself in this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like She's having so much fun being charmed by Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, she's just, she seems like she's just, well, I want to see how this whole ethan hunt job thing turns out and if i happen to get the knock list in the process oh that'll be delightful like following the wave like ah this is fun Uh, i might end up with this thing i'm totally willing to pay for the the opportunity to yeah yep (laughs) so ethan ups his prices like all right for the complete list i want to want 10 million dollars and the most important thing is job has to be there at the meet because it's really what I want here. I kind of get a hold of that guy. <laughs> oh, well, I don't even know Job. Uh, just make it happen. He's like, you can make it happen. He's like, yeah, I probably can. <laughs> so uh, Ethan 
gets into their database, just like hops right onto the IMF online portal and starts looking through the disavowed <laughs> list for some people he could work with. <laughs> the IT guy never revoked his access. I guess not. The IT guy will turn out later to be uh, Simon Pegg. Oh, no kidding. He's really fun in these movies. Yeah. I think Gosh, he's I... introduced in part three. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know he was in them. Yeah, he's fun. So he gets a hold of Luther Stickle, played by Ving Rhames, who who's so great. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely love him in these movies. Uh, and Jean Renault as Franz Krieger. Krieger. The, just the Frenchest man, Jean Renault. <laughs> Jean Renault. Oh, man. He, like, <laughs> as soon as he shows up, you see his face. I'm like, oh, my God, Jean Renault. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of a single movie that he's been in, but I've seen so many movies he's been in. The Professional? I haven't seen that. Oh, really? Great movie. Yeah. It's the one where he's a, a hitman, and uh, it's it's got Natalie Portman uh, as, oh. like, it, it's before she was big. It's like 94, so she's oh, like okay. a kid, and uh, her family is killed, and she wants to hire him to get revenge on it and also train her to get revenge against the guy who did it. Wild movie. Oh, that's a that's a genre no thing to do. Oh yeah, <laughs> right on. I was so happy to see him in this. Yeah, I really like him in this. I he both him and Ving Rhames are great as like the good disavowed guy and the bad disavowed guy that he got <laughs> on the team. Yep. So their their plan is they got to get to this guy William Donlow's workspace. Yeah, the actual list is in like the CIA headquarters in like the freaking middle of it in the super, super locked down terminal that's not connected online anywhere. Yeah, and there's so many different security measures. So first, you need a voice print ID to open the first door. There's two doors. Mm -hmm. You also need a six digit code and a retinal scan. And then for the enough. And for the, the second one, you also need two key cards at the same time from two people. So the yep. secretary and Dunlow both enter one. So there's really no way we're getting in from that direction. None whatsoever. Now, it's also an audio sensitive room when, when someone's not in there. Uh, any real change in the audio will set off the alarm. Uh, any change in the temperature you know, one yep, one degree raised when someone's not when there's not supposed to be a person there. Anything touches that floor, right? And there is an an air conditioning vent thirty feet up, which is guarded by a laser net. Because <laughs> of course it is. Of course. <laughs> uh, and you know he goes through all of that, and, and uh, Luther's like, "You really think we can do this?" And just Ethan, it, it just it is textbook cruise fucking charisma and mm-hmm. enthusiasm and just like pure confidence. Like we're gonna do this. <laughs> <laughs> like he says it. Like you feel like yeah, no, they're gonna do this. It's gonna yeah. totally work. I mean, it sounds like an impossible mission, but he's done a few of those. That's what he does. Yeah. So they get in by faking a fire alarm. They come in as a fire crew. Uh, two of them continue along and uh, Claire uh, uh, slips away into a bathroom and changes into uh, just a regular outfit. Mm-hmm. 
so uh, she gets she she sidles up to Dunlow in the cafeteria and puts something in his drink that makes him very sick. <laughs> <laughs> and she puts a tracking device on him too. Yeah, puts it on his shoulder. Uh, and the Krieger almost kills a dude when they're in uh, when the, the two of them are changing, and you know Cruz has to stop and say Krieger zero body count. And he, he's yeah. got a very familiar looking knife, if you're watching for it, that he almost kills the guy with. I I didn't catch it uh, the first time. But the second time but when he, he drops it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, that is a distinct knife. I, nobody has this knife. Yeah. It's like, hey, that's that same knife. So they get into the air ducts. They, they're navigating through Tom and or, uh, uh, Ethan and uh, Krieger. Uh, and it, it's the most famous bit in the movie. Him rappelling yeah. down. This was so iconic in the mid nineties. I, I saw this parody by everyone. Oh man, I I remember the scene being way more actiony and less intense because of how many times I've seen it parodied. It's actually parodied. It's actually really, really tense. Yeah, it, it's a very good tense, uh, well designed scene. Uh, and- I also remember the Mission Impossible theme playing while he goes in, but that's probably because of the trailer. There is no music in this scene. Yeah, it plays silent. They have that thing where, you know, they because they're being very cautious about the audio. You have him sweating as, as they move down and he has to catch the sweat as it drips off his glasses. Oh. <laughs> and there's a bit where a rat scares Krieger. So he like drops him and he's like hovering Two inches off the floor. Oh yeah, and you just—it's like that he's Tom swimming. Actually, yeah, <laughs> and, and you just know that he actually did this. He, oh yeah, I mean it's—it's it's obviously him literally doing it because you see him just like an inch above the floor. You see it drop. You see him doing those motions to keep just above it, so no yeah. part of his body is uh, dropping down. Right. ultimately well, he krieger smashes a rat technically like a rat is yes. moving up and he sees it and he like hits it and then you know <laughs> as he does that everything sort of goes haywire yeah yeah the one of the pulleys that they were using to guide the rope uh gets gets knocked out of place so so the rope is like just raw against the corner of the vent right and that's sort of causing sound as they pull him up they have to be really cautious of it Dunlow has come back and forth a few times uh, to the office and then goes back to the bathroom because he's just been throwing up. Yeah. Uh, There's actually one scene where like Tom Cruise, he's in the office and Tom Cruise is like above him. He's just hanging (laughs) up there looking down and then he like, he's not in there very long. Uh, It's it's very quickly. He, he throws up in the bucket or in, (laughs) in his wastebasket. And then he takes that out with him. Yeah. And that's when he like finally moves down. He manages to hack in. He does that really great kind of ballet twirl to get just on the edge of the desk because he can't get on the floor. Yeah. (laughs) And there's no seat when there isn't a person in there because it retracts into the desk. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, you know, ultimately they manage to get it. They get the stuff. They get the list. The knife drops and lands just on the edge of the desk. And that's, I imagine, <laughs> where you recognized it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. where I saw it. I was like, 
that knife looks familiar. Mm, that is the knife. And yeah, it lands like, so it's sticking up from the desk, like it embedded itself into the desk. Right, and did not make any noise. But of course, Dunlow comes in and sees it, and they, you know, the alarm is raised. But they, they're out of there. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, they're gone. They succeeded. They did it. They got it. They They head to London. Yep. So this is where Krieger starts to show that he's a bastard, and he's like, I want to go to the meet, and I, you're, you're not going to stop me because I have the list. Yeah, and Tom Cruise is like, you don't have the list. He does like this cool sleight of hand thing with the this disc. A bunch of so sleight of hand. I'm... Yeah, he's he's actually pretty good at it. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, you think I'm going to let you have the disc? Come on now. Yeah, he, he fakes it out. He, he does a bunch of stuff where he... Uh, pulls the disc out of different places. He he pulls it out of Claire's shirt. He pulls it out from behind his head a couple times. <laughs> and and uh, and Krieger is just fed up. He tosses his disc in the garbage and storms out. Yeah, Krieger just gets annoyed and like, fine, fine, I don't care, stop, I, whatever. And he throws it away. <laughs> and Ethan pulls it out of the trash and is like, you hold on to this, Luther. <laughs> I know he can trust you. <laughs> Seem pretty chill. It's like, wait, so he had the whole disc? Oh, or the real disc? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing Tom Cruise has all that charisma, though. It is. So Ethan grabs the Bible that they've been using, and he looks at it and he's like, wait a second, this is from the Drake Hotel. And he flashes back to earlier where John Voight was like, or uh, Jim Phelps, was like, oh, yeah, they had me at the Drake Hotel. Right, so why does that mean that phelps is the guy though because phelps like, brought the bible with him because that's where he set up the meet like he he set it up while oh he was so at they the found drake. the bible at the meeting place yeah they're they're, they're in london the drake hotel oh, in chicago fuck okay right yeah so okay yeah. that bible having come from the drake hotel and he knows that the bible was used for this job 314 thing i mean it yeah, ultimately that's... had to have been, although that is maybe also sort of a stretch ultimately, but it, it's correct. <laughs> it, it, it ends, ends up, up being correct. correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so we we the news comes on, and Ethan's mother and uncle have been arrested as drunk drug kingpins. <laughs> <laughs> They're like these these Midwest. They are Midwest as fuck. They are not the drug kingpins of anything. They have just a, a failing family farm, uh, oh. and Kitridge has framed them, and like explicitly, Kitridge oh, yeah. has framed them, and like Ethan phones up Kitridge right away and expresses like we're in London, yeah, uh, and they're trying to trace the call. And he's like, why? Why did you do this? And like, oh, I mean, it's you know, if you'll come in, we'll absolutely clear this up right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll just make this whole unfortunate mistake that didn't need to happen we'll just make it go away but you gotta come in we need you to come in and at the next phone in the uh i guess it's like a, a tube station or something uh, yeah it's phelps there it, he is. it is <laughs> <laughs> i mean you don't see his face right away but he's it's got a so... trench coat and his hat and a hat and his face is purposely being obscured yeah and you're like that's phelps that's phelps come that's on phelps. turn around and be phelps and finally does and he's yeah. like Kitridge is the mole. I'm like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, but so the Bible <laughs> thing and all the other stuff. Well, let's think about this. 
and we see him thinking about it in real time as Phelps is telling his version of the story. So good. Ethan's imagining what it really is. Yeah, Ethan says like, oh, of course. And we see him just like imagining Phelps doing each of the things. <laughs> yeah, but like saying it's like, oh yeah, Kittredge could have done that. Right. Uh, how did he well, take out... He he envisions Krieger as well because he's already yep. seen the knife and he's put that together. We see him putting it together in the scene where he says no or where he says zero body count. Mm-hmm. First, he imagines that uh, Claire detonated the car that killed Hannah, but then he's like, "Or Kittredge could have done that himself too, I guess." Or uh, uh, Phelps. Or. He thinks Phelps did it because he he's sure that Phelps did all of it. He he never thinks right. Kittredge. Is oh right, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, uh, yeah, obviously. No, Phelps he doesn't. Did it, but he's Kittredge. saying right. But he's yeah. saying Kittredge could yeah, have done that. He says Kittredge, but he's envisioning Phelps. Yeah, he's like this. I like this because he's like piecing it together one way, but he's also like having to be careful to make it sound like he's piecing it together a different way. Although it's weird because he gets through all of it. He listens to the whole thing and he says, why, Jim? And it's weird. Phelps basically says why he did it. And then at the end, he says that's why Kittredge did it. Yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, you know, I I mean, Kittredge was like, why are we doing this anymore? He, he says like, well, you know, after the Cold War, the whole spy business started to decrease. We, we Things went downhill. And then you wake up one day and the president of the United States is running the country without your permission. <laughs> that is such a personal thing. <laughs> it's not like he says that and then it's like, without your permission is probably what Kittredge is thinking. Well, is this not every time you see a Republican in the news projecting about oh, what sure. the Democrats are doing? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's the same thing. So he's like, eh, Kittredge did it. Uh, and, but, you know, they're all, it's, it's clearly like, well, I know that's why you did it. And we're just seeing, mm-hmm. envisioning why you did it. Uh, yeah. So he tells Ethan uh, to just keep that he's alive from Claire. Don't tell Claire that I'm still alive until right. the mission's finished. Yeah. Like, Sort of as cover for Claire, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do like this because it's not often that you see... It's not often you see the hero put the pieces together before the bad guy realizes the hero has. Mm-hmm. Usually it's the bad guy who tells the hero what it is right. and puts the pieces together for him. Yeah, th- this is a fun variation on that where the, the villain is telling him his whole plan. He just doesn't realize he's telling him it because he's telling him yeah. someone else did it, but he sees through him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we get to see, like, for the rest of the movie, Phelps is disadvantaged because he doesn't know that Tom Cruise knows. Right. Which is pretty and cool. It's, it, yeah, it's, it is cool. Like, you don't see the villain on the back foot very often. Yeah. and it, it's Until an- the, like, the end. Right. It, it's a pretty interesting way to go about it and to have just sort of that in his back pocket. Because usually you do that for the villain. The villain knows something yeah. that the hero doesn't. Yeah. Then, yeah. So Kitrid shows up in London and there's a package waiting for him with a watch and train tickets from Ethan. Oh, interesting. Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, he's playing 
every Ethan's now playing everybody here. Yeah, he's getting all of the pieces in place. So he's like, I need the IMF team there to back me up, but they can't know that I'm there or they're going to get me. But I, him providing the tickets and the watch will is probably enough for Kitridge to realize that he's probably on the level. And that there's I, something else going probably. on there. Yeah, yeah. So Max is on the train, and she gets a phone call from uh, Ethan that's like, okay, just feel under your seat. There's a little pouch there with the disc. It's like, you can try it out. You can authenticate it. And she puts it in. It's like, yeah, it's fucking real. I'm I'm very impressed. I love the bit where, like, the, the, the power keeps going out, and they're like, ah, oh, this train Wi-Fi. Well, Luther is jamming the signal. He is. Got Luther yeah. at a nearby seat with a phone that is specifically jamming their signal only. And then mm-hmm. when he has to move around because the IMF agents are searching the train, and he is an IMF agent who's been disavowed, so he's kind of sus. And they're looking yeah. at anyone who has laptops, and he's got a laptop and a phone. He's like, let me just walk around a little bit, and then everybody's Wi-Fi is going out wherever he goes. Yeah, he tries to put the phone down on the chair, and the train person's like, "Sir, you left your phone. Would you like your phone back?" Right, and it's he, like, "I kind of like, don't." Yeah, like, uh, I guess I'll take that. And he's like retreating to the washroom because it's yeah. like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna get found out." <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Max has got his her big thug guy, who follows him and is trying to get into the bathroom because they've realized that someone's jamming the signal. Yeah, yeah. He's like trying to beat down the door, but Ving Rames is pushing up against it, and you're not beating Ving Rames in a strength contest. No! Guy's built. Yep. So Max phones He was up. the kingpin once! Oh, I forgot about that. That was, was cool, actually. Oh, wait, no, wasn't that... I think that was Michael Clark Duncan. Oh my god, oh, no, you're oh, right. I'm sorry. It was Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I've seen Ving Rames in so much stuff. He's so great in uh, Bringing Out the Dead. I love him. Oh, fuck, but he so was in much. Patty Hearst, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was. He was he really was, good uh, He was, yeah. like, the, the main guy. Yeah, he was the guy. He was awesome in that. But, yeah, I, I love him in Bringing Out the Dead as just the very exuberant Christian guy who is his, uh, who is one of the other <laughs> ambulance drivers. Oh, yeah, when they're, like, fraying, <laughs> like, Paige is working on the one guy and, like, Bing Rains is leading everyone else in prayer. Ah, be begging! <laughs> so fucking good. Oh, it's great. So Max phones up Phelps, because she's always known that he's Job. <laughs> she, yeah, of course. She phones him as like, alright, Ethan's gonna go retrieve the money from the baggage car. He's on the way there. Because, you know, she's called him up. She's a, she's a, uh, verified the thing, been on the phone with him. Yeah. So we see Claire go into the baggage car and she sees what she thinks is Jim. And of course, it, it is Ethan as Jim. <laughs> yep, wearing a John Voight mask. She says, Ethan's right behind me. And she, for like to credit her character, she has doubts about killing him. She doesn't want to do it. Yeah. Like, do we yeah. really have to kill him? I don't think that's a good idea. Can't we just get out of here? Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, yeah, Ethan pulls off the mask. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like to imagine that Claire's like going, well, all the time I was talking about kill it. See, what I meant to say, 
But of course, she she doesn't have time to say anything because no. Jim Phelps is also there. He he's like hidden behind some coats and comes out. And he's like <laughs> he's got a gun on them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Claire takes the money, and uh, they Ethan finally says, like we get Jim giving his whole villainous speech and saying how he's been doing all this thing. It's all revealed, and then Ethan reveals he's actually been broadcasting the whole thing to the watch <laughs> that he sent Kitridge. Like he finally yep. like he's got the glasses just sitting in his front pocket and he finally like picks them up and puts them on and is like you get it right. It's like, oh <laughs> fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And the look on his face is like, oh my God. Like, ah, our technology, I should have known. <laughs> so Jim shoots Claire. I guess she dies because I don't think she comes back in the other movie. I don't think she. Yeah, I don't think we see her again the rest of the movie. I think she's dead. Yeah, kind of out of nowhere, and then uh, the the crazy train roof sequence. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how much of this is actual physical effects because some of it definitely looks like it. I, I don't know how much of the background is maybe digital and maybe it's wind tunnel stuff. Uh it looks very it's real. It's hard to say. It's, it's, it's good. The, the effects are very good for uh, some of it. I mean, they get very silly once they're in the tunnel with the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> helicopter flying down the tunnel attached with a, with a freaking cord to the train. A bungee cord, yeah. Because uh, Jim is going to uh, go... He, he is getting on the train to escape in a helicopter with Krieger. Krieger's following the train and... <laughs> this is kind of the first really big stunt sequence in a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, yeah. It so, becomes their thing. Mm -hmm. So you know how in most train movies, or in most movies that have a climax on the roof of a train, they're just standing on the roof of a train and punching each other? <laughs> no. This is a bullet <laughs> no. train. They, they can't. They cannot stand. <laughs> no, they are like holding on for dear life the whole time. It's pretty cool. Ethan gets all the way to the back and he attaches a cable to the train that anchors the helicopter to it so he can't yeah. get away. And they so go into a fucking tunnel. <laughs> so the helicopter is flying in this tunnel. Which is and, like, so absurd. It looks kind of ridiculous, <laughs> but it looks good in a weird sort of way. Where yeah, yeah. I feel like so many of the late 90s, this era of uh, visual effects... In a lot of movies, this would have looked like total fucking dog shit. It's surprising how good it looks here. It looks classical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, it definitely works. <laughs> I love the bit where like there's the the guy at the back of the train radioing to the guy at the front of the train. They're like, no, no, don't stop. The helicopter will crash into us. You got to keep going. You have to keep going at the same speed. Things are so crazy back here. You have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Tom Cruise is here, man. <laughs> Somehow both Ethan and Jim managed to get onto the skids of the helicopter yep. through their fighting. And Ethan so, gets one of the pieces of gum and fucking gum bombs the helicopter. <laughs> yeah, so the explosion from the helicopter launches him back onto the train. And it, it the, the helicopter falls, the, the exploding helicopter falls and crushes Jim under the skids. And then it explodes again. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> with as it you know because it hits the ground and blows up yeah. behind the track uh, yeah <laughs> and when it's finally done one of the helicopter blades that has been sharpened into an actual sharp blade is like 
inches away from Ethan's neck. Right, the the burnt out remnants of the blade, and just just like an inch away, and then yeah, because the, the train finally stops too once the thing explodes. Mm-hmm. And you know that that's that's kind of it. Uh, Luther gets the disc back. Kitridge comes up and is like, "Max, I take it." <laughs> yep. So they, they exonerate Ethan's family. Uh, Luther gets reinstated. He's like, "Oh man, I kind of miss being disreputable." And it's it's <laughs> again, it's the only time Tom Cruise does kind of feel authentically chill in the movie. It's like, "I'll always think of you that way." <laughs> <laughs> it's and a good line. They they actually have some chemistry, and I, I think that's mm-hmm. sort of hard to find. Uh, so yeah, they're they're pretty fun together. They have a good. Uh, rapport and it will be the same when he gets simon Pegg with him later he's a really good foil to him too oh interesting okay i i I didn't think those two would have chemistry so that's cool yeah they're fun so final thing ethan's on his flight back home and the it's it's a repeat of that first scene with uh phelps on the plane where She's like, would you like a movie to watch? And he's like, eh, no, I'm good. It's like, would you consider the cinema of the Caribbean? And, you know, it's one of their secret self-destructing yeah. tapes. And, you know, the theme music starts again. The end. Yeah, I, I like the ending because just before that, Ethan had said, like, you know, I don't think I'm going to do the spy thing anymore. I think I'm done with it. And then he looks shocked and upset that he got this tape. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, like, what else is this guy gonna do? Who? What is he gonna do in regular life? That's insane. He's not a person who exists in the regular world. I could get a job at Safeway bagging groceries. Sure. <laughs> oh my god, no. Yeah, it's very strange. Like I can't really imagine him doing it. Oh yeah. So by the way, we said earlier that it was Elfman. It's not actually Elfman doing the theme. He does the oh. rest of the music. The theme is by Larry Mullen Jr. and Adam Clayton of U2. Oh, okay. That which is the sort of danced up version. It won the Grammy that year. Oh. For best pop instrumental. All right. Well. Yeah. Yeah. It's anyway, it's fine. It's okay. I, I <laughs> still don't like it as much as the original, but I do like it better than the Lip Biscuit. It is it it, it uh, does tread that line. But yeah, you know, fun movie. A uh, pretty good time. It definitely doesn't have the gravitas of the later ones, but you know, it's a lot of fun. It it really moves. Yeah, it's a a good uh, good spy flick. Uh, Tom Cruise gets to be Tom Cruise. He gets to be really Tom Cruisey, and it's sort of in a weird way based in his persona, as all of these films kind of are. Most train wrecky with the second one, where his public persona was at its worst. <laughs> Uh, I still remember seeing the trailer and for the second one being like, Tom Cruise didn't have Matrix powers in the first one, did he? <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, I, I was hyped for that movie because I liked the first one. I didn't remember it super deep because, you know, I'd just seen it on VHS with a bunch of people. Didn't see that one in theater. And, you know, it's a John Woo movie. Yep. And it had, you know, the advertising was huge. It was like the most advertised movie of the period. <laughs> Not- oh, by oh, yes. far you could not escape this movie it was everywhere the soundtrack was everywhere oh yeah so i was there opening day but oof what a bad one i like i remember the sequence where they're car dancing where he's dancing with i think it's selma hayek and they're or maybe it's penelope cruz was it because wasn't that i, the, I don't remember era? anyway the, the the lady in that one they're they're tangoing in cars 
And I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember that, but uh, I'll take your word for it. It's uh, it's a thing. So uh, do you have any last thoughts on Mission Impossible before we head on to part two? Yeah. Do you think Ethan Hunt can solve the mystery of what happened to Shelley Miscavige? Mm, maybe because mm, she's about the only one who could i mean it, it, it's it's a situation where like you'd need some sort of life-threatening issue going on for him to do so you kind of mm, true you, you you need the threat <laughs> in there for it to be necessary it, it, can't yeah, just be, otherwise... it can't just be a thing he wants to know it, it has to be no urgent. no he'd be like well david says he, she's fine so she is, is I, probably I, i'm not thinks. aware of any urgency yeah <laughs> it's it's, it's no, definitely not gonna she's... cause the end of the world i mean most of these no. movies are world ending threats that he's dealing with true true <laughs> all right uh on to part two and we're back for part two where we're talking about as we mentioned at the beginning alien from la uh the second picture we've covered by director albert pyun uh from 1988 uh, the previous one we covered is, of course, Captain America, which was a couple years later. Right, right. Um, so this feels like a cartoon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it Well, it, it is explicitly a fairy tale, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's very fairy tale based. And it's also sort of an adaptation of Journey to the Center of the Earth. And it kind of reminds but it doesn't kind of it reminds me a lot of the uh the super mario brothers movie that came out in yeah. the early 90s oh for sure i i like there are a few sequences especially once she's in atlantis uh, and we have some of those uh shots of like the whole atlantis street it really looks like scenes in super mario brothers so much so that i kind of wonder if maybe they reuse some of the sets from it um that i know the shot you're thinking of like the one that's like a helicopter shot and it's the same angle and everything it looks exactly the same uh (laughs) and you know this is a couple years before and i know like this is golan globus canon it's a canon picture and i guess it's right near the end of canon and canon didn't do super mario brothers i don't think so maybe some of their assets ended up with uh whoever whoever produced that maybe yeah maybe it's hard to say or maybe they just happen to have very similar looking stuff i guess so i mean it is a very right at that verge of 80s and 90s that specific aesthetic is very uh prevalent in this film and in super mario brothers it's like the music videos of the era too they all had this look or i remember Uh, on much music when i was a kid there was that uh tv series it, it was like an after dark ytv show uh catwalk catwalk looked like this <laughs> <laughs> uh, i don't think i've seen that one uh i didn't really watch it much because it was boring <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Alien from L.A. with Kathy Ireland in her first acting role. There is a sequel to this, which I haven't seen. What? <laughs> uh, it's it's actually just called Journey to the Center of the Earth. So it, and it is just like it is her. She's back in the sequel. I think it's also directed <laughs> by Pyun. Interesting to see it. 
Because I mean, yeah, my so... dad fell down a different bottomless hole. <laughs> there's there is so much lore in this movie that it does <laughs> feel like it could. Uh, uh, it, 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 it there's room for another film, although it, it's hard to say what the plot would be. Like you said, like why why would she be down there again? She's got her guy at the end. She's got her guy, but he hasn't found the center of the Earth yet. He just found Atlantis. Right. So, and yeah, so he, you know, he's just going to go for that and then he'll fall down another bottomless hole and it'll be <laughs> 10 years later and she'll be like, I miss my dad. I miss my dad. Uh, I guess that's maybe the first thing we should address is Kathy Ireland's voice. Uh, it's, oh. it's a big part of the movie. Like it's all of the characters talk about it. Yeah, it's, it's a choice. <laughs> it's, it's a choice. She has a squeaky cartoon mouse voice. She sounds like, uh, in the great mouse detective i can't remember who the the little baby mouse who's uh, the great mouse detective is trying to uh rescue from vincent price as the evil rat she's got that voice <laughs> oh yeah she, she literally says things like gee mister are you sure that's a good idea <laughs> yeah she is actively a little girl it's it's very strange because she's kathy ireland <laughs> yeah <laughs> she is uh ultra hot supermodel kathy ireland uh who at this point is you know mid-20s yeah yep yeah. i i figured she's probably around 24 but th this part is written and i'm gonna say performed yes. like it was meant for someone 13 years old basically all the way up until she puts her face in the uh the the facelift machine in Atlantis. She is a child character. <laughs> and even after that, she still kind of is, but especially at the beginning, and she has no self-respect. None whatsoever. Just, oh my gosh. It's so sad. <laughs> yeah, she... Well, you know, because her mom left her dying. Well, yeah, her her mom died, and her dad did kind of leave her. Her dad though, did he to leave be, her. To be fair, she... he No, he absolutely did. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it, it's sort of in the in the fairy tale sense. It's this thing where she basically is playing a child until she grows up later, so that she's able to gain some self respect and get what she wants. Although the end doesn't find her that different from herself at the beginning. Like she's gotten outside of her comfort zone a little bit, but she's still back on the beach at the end. Yeah, she still. She she's, even says, "Like she's still all about her daddy." <laughs> yeah like i still have the same voice the same face the same glasses which is that that's also a choice that she has the glasses back on at the end i, I thought that was kind of fun but yeah she is like at the beginning they it's it's the comical dress down supermodel you know the most shapeless t-shirt the messy hair mm -hmm. the biggest granny glasses like literally yeah. the glasses my grandmother wore <laughs> they, they do they do make her look 12 like when i first when the movie started and she first she's talking to like her hot blonde friend i thought it was like the i thought it was like the mom and the daughter oh yeah like she I thought that was her mom yeah it seems like she's playing a kid she does not seem to be on the same level as everyone else it's very strange especially because she's dating this guy who seems just extremely normal and i don't like him like the guy kind of yeah. sucks but he's like, also not totally wrong 
Yeah, he's like <laughs> a normal level douchebag. Yeah, and not even like fully douchebag. Like he's not wrong about the problems she has. It's just I don't know why he was ever dating her in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I he's surprised when she's hot at the end, so it can't be about that. <laughs> yeah. Like they they definitely didn't have sex. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think that would just be too I honestly think that'd be too weird. It's like yes. you, you go to have sex, and then she's like, Oh, I hope it doesn't hurt. It's like, all right. I wonder what my dad's doing in North Africa. All right, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> like, oh my god. Yeah, and, th- and this guy does seem like this. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> this isn't working because it-, it is one of his complaints. Like, and the voice gives me a headache. You please yeah. understand. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he his complaints are first he breaks up with her over an answering machine. So he is a douchebag. Yes, that that is uncool. He knows yeah. where to find her. She's at the beach. He says it himself. She's always at the beach. That's... It is one of his complaints. Yeah, because he wants to go to, like, Shambhala, the festivals, and he wants to take a road trip. He wants and he to wants head up to, to BC. Yeah. That's where Shambhala is. Yeah, or, like, whatever. And she just wants to go to the beach, and she's it's she all she, car sick. I mean, yeah, the, his his complaints are fairly reasonable to some extent. Like, I he is the surfer bro who wants to go up to Shambhala and do... Uh, that kind of shit that that is him but you know she can't she literally won't go anywhere she won't drive in a car she's afraid of planes and yeah. it's just like she she can't even go to a party out of town she like she only exists in walking distance that's not really yeah. reasonable yeah like she exists in her house that we don't even really see the diner and the beach she has no other locations the diner is pretty cool though Oh, oh yeah, like one of them. Such uh, a cool diner, fifties roller skate. Yeah, with the yeah. roller skates, and you drive up. I wish those existed here. They used to. I remember going to one years ago. Uh, there was one in Esquimalt. The A and W there used to be one of those drive-in restaurants. Oh no, kidding! With the uh, you know, the the people uh, coming on roller skates and stuff. But that's huh. years ago. Like it, it stopped doing that in the eighties when I was very young. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I never seen one like that. It, but it's also just cool design. You know, it's got it's one of those classic, really angular places with tons of glass, and you got all those yeah. records hanging uh, in on strings all over the place. It's just cool. Great location that we only see once, and that's maybe one of the really great things about this movie is the location work and the set design has so much love in it it really does um the locations might be the best part of the whole thing i would say pretty much definitely they're they're beautiful they're so uh elaborately designed there's so much to look at in all of the backgrounds especially when you get to atlantis oh yeah atlantis is great um not even just like the city but like the backdrops of the cave and the like the big main buildings and the skyline oh it's great and like especially at this low budget level you know it's a canon picture it's not a <laughs> it's not a <laughs> a major studio one mm-hmm. and you know it's it's near the end of the run for canon where they were kind of fallen apart like i i think it's maybe the next pyun film for canon uh cyborg i don't know how late after that is but that one 
ended up just running out of money. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> they never finished it. Oh yeah, geez. that was that was the following year. Oh wow, okay. So yeah, right near the end. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so yeah, she's she's confronting the boyfriend about why he's not into her and he's like, "Look, I don't actually know why I was into you in the first place now that I think about it." Yeah, this which, is what it boils down fair, to. Fair. Totally fair. Because it's like you won't go anywhere ever. Uh, you're uh, got the mind of a child, and uh, your you're, voice, your voice, so annoying. And, and oh my god, you have glasses and a sweater. <laughs> you're you're an eighties nerd. Uh, I, I but like it's so pathetic. It's what makes her so annoying at the beginning. It's like, It's like, oh God, yeah. have some self-respect. My yeah. God, I hate it. Yeah. yeah, totally. Like, I can change. Oh God, help me to change. Oh yeah, and I guess God does help her to change. It's just you know, by the time she comes back, she's too good for uh, whatever this guy is. Yeah, which is which is fine because you yeah, know, she, fair. she 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 was even when she was at her shittiest she was already kind of too good for this guy yeah she just didn't neither of them knew it yet they just sometimes you're just not compatible i mean his his complaints are valid at this point it's just i just feel like they should have had a conversation before yeah. they started to go oh out. yeah they, i i have no idea where any of the attraction came from to begin with <laughs> yeah that's that's the real mystery there it's like it, they shouldn't be together he's right <laughs> yep uh, yeah we find out she works at a diner uh a really busy diner and apparently it's just her and her aunt are the only employees auntie pearl yep who's All... also one of the people in atlantis oh a lot of people are doubles in this movie it's it's doing a Wizard of Oz it thing. Is, it, I mean, it does do a Wizard of Oz thing. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know she had a double. Uh, Rorius Freaky. Oh, the the bartender. Yeah, yeah. The bartender oh, is her. I didn't recognize her at all. <laughs> wow. The makeup. <clears throat> excuse me. The makeup is really good in this movie. The costumes too. I'll say. Yeah, I mean it. Again, just for its low budget level, there's so much love and care put into all of the details, which is uh, cool. Like you, you don't necessarily see that in a lot of these uh, '80s weird fucking low budget Canon pictures. Most of them, you know, they they knew what they were doing. They were here to make a buck. <laughs> yeah, but this one, like, yeah, there's there's a lot of it's it's it reminds me of the Apple. Mm. And, and, oh it does and, an earlier canon film that i totally adore yeah we should do the apple sometime. Oh, absolutely it's one of my favorite movies <laughs> mr boogaloo <laughs> mr boogaloo that's uh, it <laughs> <laughs> i went to uh, I, I went to a halloween party dressed as him one time oh cool cool uh so next we meet up with the dad who is a goofy professor with a bow tie and glasses and white outfit and everything. <laughs> yeah, he is absurd. Uh, professor <laughs> Arnold Sacknusom. Uh, yeah. And he's exploring a temple and falls down a hole. 
That's he he falls down a bottomless pit, man. He falls pit. down a bottomless pit, and that's it. Uh, Wanda soon receives a, a telegram saying that he fell down a bottomless pit and died. <laughs> I just I just love the reveal. They assume. <laughs> yeah, she like the way she's re- she's reading the telegram, and then she says to her aunt, "Is like my dad died. He <laughs> fell down a bottomless pit." <laughs> yeah, so good. Oh, got a bottomless pit. <laughs> <laughs> they, they want me to come to Africa. It's like, yeah, to are you going to go? <laughs> like, I guess I have to. Uh, but it's so scary, though. Terrifying. She even, she even does the line like, I know I said I needed a change, <laughs> but this is ridiculous. <laughs> Again, like, I picture a cartoon mouse. Yeah, <laughs> this she this sounds like. So Fievel, Fievel goes to Atlantis adventure. <laughs> she sounds like, um, or reminds me of when Adam Sandler's doing a silly cartoon voice. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm gonna laugh at you. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, like just very similar. Yeah. Maybe... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, she she does get on her plane and go over there. Yep, and they don't make a whole lot out of that. No, there's really she's just like she has the one scene where she's like, "This is a lot to ask God," and then you know she goes anyways, and she meets the dude who knew her dad, like his, I guess his business partner. I don't know business partner or research buddy or who knows the guy who he was working with, the other professor. It's yeah. like, yeah, I mean, he fell down a bottomless pit. What, what can you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the pit is actually like right there in his office. Yeah, um, like you, you want to go check it out? We'll go fucking explore. You. She's like, oh yeah, I'll definitely do that. And she goes and explores and falls down the bottomless pit. It's yeah. really inevitable. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of pause. <laughs> no, she just, she just falls. She like knocks over a ball, which does like this whole like Rube Goldberg thing, knocking over skeletons right. and dominoes. And, and when she lands, like it, it, speaking to the cartoon effect that you were talking about, she's literally in a her-shaped crater. <laughs> yeah. she, she lands in a her-shaped crater in like some, I don't know, black sand. <laughs> like you're expecting her to come up shaped like an accordion yeah it's so goofy and, and in like, a good way like i, I want her to stress that it, these are that's what works about this movie <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I realized on the second watch through that every single person in this not just her is doing a cartoon voice oh yeah oh yeah everyone is very outsized these are all very ridiculous characters and most of all gus who's the first person to run into her here yeah she wanders around the cave for a bit and then she hears this commotion and it's gus the miner and these (laughs) uh cartoon claim jumpers who are like uh (laughs) Like really exaggerated, cartoony versions of Munchkin, Burke, and Hare from um, mm-hmm. yeah. oh, what's that one? You know the one. Uh, yeah, the Flesh and the Fiends. The Flesh and the Fiends. Early, yeah. early Pleasants. Oh, we're going to jump your claim. Oh, we've got the mine now. Oh, we're going to kill you. Yeah, and and like literally just like dancing up and down like fools, and you know she arrives. She, it's it's enough of a surprise. He gets the jump on these dudes. Yeah. 
and he's like, oh, I'm going to kill them. Oh, that's, this is how he talks. <laughs> yeah, he's got the gruff <laughs> cartoon voice. Like I Again, cartoon kangaroo, because it's the yep. fakest Australian accent as well. <laughs> it's bad. It's very <laughs> funny. I, so I, I rewatched the Mystery Science Theater episode of this in preparation as well. Oh, shoot, I well. was going to do that. I, I watched to. it the other day. It's pretty fun. Uh, I, and just the, their their main riff with that guy. It's just, and I'm Australian. I'm Australian, I am. Every time. Because <laughs> it's so, so fucking fake. It's the worst Australian accent. <laughs> it's like somebody watching Jason Statham and being like, mm, <laughs> I can do better. He's like Blinky Bill in this movie. <laughs> But yeah, he's like, oh, I'm going to kill them. And she's like, don't kill them. It's not nice. (laughs) We're going back and forth between these two so much. And it it does climax with that perfect moment when I like the way her voice sounds. (laughs) (laughs) When when she's being terrorized by Deep Roy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) The boss of bosses. (laughs) The boss of bosses. I don't know. I think Michael Corleone's got this guy beat. Yeah, but he's the boss of bosses in Atlantis. Oh, in Atlantis. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I love his eyelashes. The, the, <laughs> the styles of Atlantis are really something. That's another thing that reminded me of Mario. Not mm. not that they had the same style, but that they had a unique style. Yeah, this bizarre other world style that follows a parallel evolution. Yeah. Um, as they're driving to Atlantis, we get the first of th- this is a weird running bit about her being like big boned and heavy. And I like, do not get that. Yeah, I don't because she's not. No, she's truly not. She's <laughs> Kathy Ireland. She's, yeah, <laughs> it's it's beyond absurd. Yeah, but like she gets into the tractor and it tips over and falls because she weighs too much, I guess. I like I guess we're supposed to understand that the people of Atlantis have hollow bones, maybe? Like like oh, birds. Maybe, but that's never explained. No, but like you do have these people who are sort of mutant and have sort of weird features and the it's it's what I'm thinking of in terms of that parallel evolution thought where uh in the Mario verse they're humans who evolved from dinosaurs right whereas here they're like i don't know exactly what the this is the people of atlantis and atlanteans are usually seen as sea people so yeah but in this they came from space right right which means there wouldn't be gravity in outer space i guess they could be some sort of be as dense well they they could be some sort of aliens yeah yeah that she's got regular human bones, I guess, is the point. But it's a weird roundabout way of doing it. But yeah, her tip getting on that thing and it just like rolling down the hill is pretty funny. It is pretty funny because this vehicle does not look like it should tip over that easily. It looks no. like, a, like a freaking heavy ATV like tractor thing. Yeah, it, it is a good little surprise gag. <laughs> it's just an odd choice yeah no it's weird because it, it doesn't it it only plays off a couple times but people are constantly saying it you know like i don't really get what you're talking about because it, it never comes out I, I guess we're just supposed to infer from that that all of them are much lighter and hollow boned or something yeah i i guess i, I suppose 
Oh, and the important thing, well, <laughs> you think it's going to be important, but it isn't, is that the tractor runs over her glasses when it tips over. Yeah, you'd think so, she can't see without her glasses, but she sees just she fine. <laughs> yeah it's like i can't see without my glasses and then it never comes up again she's never an issue even though she has to have issue. them back on at the end actually no she she doesn't, she doesn't? Have them on okay at the end. No. She doesn't. but she, yeah she's like but i still have the same voice yeah you're right she just realized she didn't need them they were just an affectation all along um yeah maybe uh maybe like a defense mechanism because she doesn't like like uh, the really shapeless so... clothing? I don't know, yeah. maybe. Could could be actually. But she thinks she needs them and doesn't seem surprised that she doesn't and uh, I don't know. It's weird it, it's it's a drop thread but I feel like this movie it's so full of stuff. There's so much in it that they're kind of just like yeah, I mean, we can be done with that now. <laughs> we don't want her to be wearing glasses because it's Kathy Ireland. We want to show off her whole face. Yeah, plus, you know, if she wears glasses, she's going to stand out in Atlantis more than she already does. Right. Because they don't have those, mainly. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Well, Everything's don't know weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Atlantis is like this weird, like, underground cyberpunk dystopia it's very much like the super mario brothers dystopia you you would totally see a, a dennis hopper bowser running this place uh but instead you've got deep roy mambino oh well he runs the under like the the crime part of it right. but we've got lord over oh, lord over <laughs> and <laughs> as well as his uh second like the the lady who looks exactly like zero wing or cats oh, from yeah. Zero Wing, the all your yeah. base are belong to us. Yeah, she she wants to start a war between Atlantis and the surface people. She wants all of Earth base to belong to her. Right. Also, is it my imagination, or is she like completely checking out Kathy Ireland the first oh. time they run into each other? Like it's it's not just a little bit. It's like there's a pause in the movie for her to do so. No, uh, that is what i thought she was doing at first and i was like oh man is she are they building up to like it never comes up again romance <laughs> no no i still is. think that's what she's doing though <laughs> yeah that's not just a oh this person might be an alien look that it's yeah. that's a that person's strange right. is like oh interesting yeah yeah she has the <laughs> facial expression yeah of, mm -hmm, she's like mm -hmm. Ooh, mm -hmm. yeah it's one of those like this that is an appreciative look yeah and i mean i totally get it <laughs> it's just it's you know it's a, another thing that's never really touched upon again yeah because the motivations of the two government people uh her who general rykov and the other guy consul crassus well crassus her motivation makes sense she wants to start a war because she's a general and that's what they do yeah i do not know what crassus is ever trying to do i guess crass my my understanding of crassus is he seems to just want to retain the status quo he, he really wants things to just remain as they are with him at the top and uh, everything else can just like you know it doesn't matter we alien let's not talk about the alien let's do everybody just calm down let's just keep doing things the way we've been doing them <laughs> me it as does the boss. make sense <laughs> 
he is yeah. also the mailman in uh, uh, on on the surface. Oh no, kidding. Yeah, okay. And Rykov is the claims officer. Oh, all right. So yeah, like what, as soon as they get to the city, everybody's. Oh yeah, we here's where we see like like the gorgeous uh, outer skyline of Atlantis. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's sort um, of a mining community, obviously. Yeah, you know everybody lives underground, like uh, gnomes or moles. Yeah, yeah, like everybody's got like their hard hats and mining gear or variations thereof. Everyone looks dirty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very dirty. Uh, the city. Yeah, it's it's a grubby dystopia. Mm-hmm. So she stands out, obviously. Yeah, she stands out, and they're already like there's already news reports about aliens uh and like debate about do do aliens exist don't they exist uh anyone who's really weird might be an alien no 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 (laughs) there's no aliens right and there's i I guess part of it is because her dad has already shown up here and is sort of weaved into the society and there's been others who sort of have come from up above so aliens do exist for them i guess yeah even though they themselves are aliens, technically. Well, you know, they don't see it that way. They they no. don't even know they yeah, it's a whole thing. Well, yeah, they no. don't even know they came from outer space. Right. I mean it's it's an immigration thing, you know. They're yeah. they've they've been here for uh generations. Yeah, ten thousand years ish, I think. Yeah, like, <laughs> like the lore of this is surprisingly deep, actually. There's there's very dense lore for and not and there's not even a lot of exposition. It's just like we say with her checking her out or the thing with the glasses, it's just they're willing to just have that piece there and it's like, okay, it's just another piece of the mosaic. It, it doesn't really need to pay off or anything. It's just yeah, there's so much going on that's like, yeah, this is a world that could be explored. Every character does have their own deal. It's just we're not necessarily going to explore it here. Uh-huh. So they get to the saloon, which is run by Roris, who is Gus's now ex-fiance right because he ran off on the wedding day to go chase this claim uh this this mine that he thinks is going to strike it rich right and she's and, like not and neither of them are interested at all in continuing it they're, they're both like yeah. yeah i mean you know whatever we, we missed that opportunity yeah yeah it's like hey i did strike it rich you know and she's like yeah i, I do don't care you know yeah, it's like what, whatever, and she's not even like. Th- there's no jealousy there. She's no. totally welcoming to Wanda. It's like, oh hey, it, you're weird. Where are yeah. you from? Yeah, you you shouldn't wear that dress. Let me get you a real dress so that you don't stand out. Since everybody's already on like witch hunts for aliens, right? And this is where she goes in the bathroom and finds the facelift machine. Yeah, yeah, she just <laughs> sticks her face into it immediately. And it just puts her makeup on so she's a supermodel. It's it's like the, the perfect way to do this, where you, you can't just do the takeoff glasses and put hair up thing that they so frequently do. Uh, yeah. So it's just, uh, let's let's have her put her face in a facelift machine, and then we just, it, it, it writes itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't even have like a, a makeover montage or anything. She's, she's just hot now. Yeah, we, we we can solve it in one scene. <laughs> it, it, yep. She puts her face in it, some steam goes up, and then she comes out, and she's Kathy Ireland. 
<laughs> Still has the voice, though. Of course. <laughs> uh, and she gets hot clothes. Um, Vroris doesn't recognize the material that her dress is made out of. She's like, oh, it's new. new. Yeah. Because uh, it's cotton and they don't have, you know, plants. They, yeah, they wouldn't have that. They have just sort of a weird, I, I guess it's sort of a material made out of sand or something or plastics. Because it's, it's, it's a synthetic material. Yeah, yeah. I, I bet there is an explanation. I bet Probably. somebody thought of one. Yeah, I mean, again, there's there's deep lore. There's all sorts of stuff. Every, everything does have some sort of rationale. And th- that's why the sets are so elaborately designed. There's just a lot of depth to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wanda gets warned about uh, how the, a lot of outside people from outside of town have been getting kidnapped a lot lately. Mm-hmm. And maybe she should stay inside. So yeah. she immediately goes outside. She's going to look for her. Dad. <laughs> yeah, I can't just sit around here. I need to find my dad. And so she's seen by this vampire lady. Yeah, Shank, her name is. Which is uh, also General Rykoff, by the way. Same same actor. Oh, shit. No yeah. way. Shank okay. and Rykoff, same person. <laughs> Damn. All right. Yeah, and Shank has already spotted her once when she was talking about Malibu Beach. And now shank's like okay yeah i'm definitely going to kidnap this person and sell them to the boss of someone yeah (laughs) and she goes to attack her and gus of course just shows up and shoves her out of the way without wanda ever finding out about it yeah no real issue there but she'll be back oh she will keep being back yeah and she's yeah she's got uh she's sort of like she looks like a helena bonham carter character from the late aughts she super does holy shit she does yeah uh sort of like a a a really gothy version uh yeah vampire lady she's got very pale skin she uh, does a lot of big limb movements (laughs) she really lurks yeah yeah um we'll sell anyone to anyone for any price yeah she's a a scavenger Uh uh-huh so Gus and Wanda go to this uh, this ballet restaurant cabaret thing. I love this place. Again, it's just all of the locations are so cool. Yeah, they've got like the the cylindrical menu that she can't read, <laughs> and the food is disgusting. <laughs> it's like this flatbread with maggots or, or some. They're they're like squealing bugs. That, that's they're what I'm squeal- making. <laughs> they're wriggling and squealing the whole time. He's. he's <laughs> like what else very good what else would i eat (laughs) yeah and you know he takes a big chomp and it squeals and wriggles while he's eating it (laughs) the subtitles even say food squeals (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah she's like or he's like all right i'm going to call an acquaintance of mine who might be able to help me help you find your dad my dad yeah, it's very excited, and then the uh, the shank is lurking uh, yeah. nearby and waiting for an opportunity the whole time. Yeah, so while he goes off to the payphone to make the call, she injects Wanda with whatever, kidnapping juice. Yeah, she knocks her out. Yeah. She can take her. Yeah, of course, and 
brings her to uh, the Coliseum where we first encounter Mambino, the boss of bosses. Just like really crazy long red eyelashes. Uh, this is Deep Roy, who, you know, he's in tons of stuff. Uh, you know, speaking of Tim Burton and uh, Latter Day, uh, Helena Bonham Carter, uh, he's all of the Oompa Loompas in uh, Tim Burton's uh, uh, oh. Willy Wonka. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like I like the mafia costumes in this. They've got like this kind of like menacing clown makeup. Mm-hmm. Because all, all of the makeup is very strange and otherworldly uh, for, for all of the people down there. But they do have sort of a classic 40s style mobster look, but steampunky. Mm-hmm. And uh and he and he always talks like in front of this big magnifying glass to make his face look bigger than it is. He's he's like Oz. Yeah, yeah, he's like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And he talks like this. <laughs> I am the boss of bosses. That's like the usual deep Roy voice. He doesn't do a lot of voice work. He's he's usually a stunt person or a little person and things because you know he's an Ewok. He's a stunt double for Yoda. He's a stunt double for R two D two. He does all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he buys he buys Wanda from Shank, and he's going to go take he's going to go take her to sell her to the government. Mm-hmm. Government house, government house. Yep, which uh, we later find out is a spaceship, but that's a whole other thing that doesn't get explored. <laughs> yeah, it's just another thing that's going on, part of the tapestry. Uh, yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as they're taking her, as they're hauling her away, uh, she's like, she's like, let me go, get me out of here. And it's like, you know what? I hate you. You're. It's it's where he he <laughs> says the thing about how he her, her voice is so annoying and of course Gus just busts in out of nowhere and for his big heroic I like the way her voice sounds and then you know starts beating him up and she has yeah. to fight back a little bit herself and get a little yeah, bit yeah she of takes a big stick agency. and knocks out Mambino yeah yeah and as they're fighting to escape uh, they get separated so. So she has to. Uh, well, she runs into to... she runns into Prince Charming, or yeah, Charmin. 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 <laughs> Which I keep because it's spelled like Charmin, C H A R M I N. Charmin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the toilet paper. Yeah, exactly. Uh, th- this guy is weird because he doesn't really strike me as a Prince Charming type when he first shows up because he's annoyed by her too, and he, yeah, he's like. <laughs> Like, hold on. Is your voice for real? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and he doesn't want to help her. He's like, yeah, no, what? No, this is, you're involved with the government. This is beyond my pay grade. I'm like, a troll, yeah. which yeah. is like a lower caste. And that's a whole thing too. Yeah. I, I don't really have time for this. I, I have a pretty strict schedule and then like a monster attacks them. So he's like, oh shit, I guess I got to help you out here. <laughs> yeah. And- yeah. Like this big Frankenstein looking guy. And it's the craziest bit in the movie for me because he they're fighting and they burst through a wall and they're in a room with a window. <laughs> in a, a factory with a big old window with the fucking blue sky outdoors next to it. I was like, what are we doing? 
Like, I think it's supposed to represent it's sort of some sort of factory building, and then there's like blue light outside the cave, but it's just the outdoors. It's a fucking factory. <laughs> yep. Windows. Oh, amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, he battles and defeats it. It gets a good railing death, tosses it over. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we find out that the general has placed a price on her head through this like lotto system. Yeah, it's weird. They they have it all, playing on all of the televisions and how she's out there. They got to hunt her down and like, if you see this alien, <laughs> find the big boned girl. Yeah, the big boned girl. What? <laughs> uh, but her and charm and kiss, and it's like, will I ever, will I ever see you again? Uh, yeah, maybe another, another place, time. Another time. <laughs> yeah, of course. Cartoon so he... cool guy. Yeah, because he actually kind of shows up and it does seem cooler when he's in more uh, biker outfit rather than yeah. underground Bedouin thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so she she approaches the saloon and she's going to hide in there, but gets picked up by guards like instantly. Yeah. She is always found immediately. It's it's and Yet she never stays where they tell her to stay i love it <laughs> it's not a very big place <laughs> they're, they're gonna be able to find you yeah, it's true <laughs> and and she stands out because you know she's so much bigger than everyone else i guess uh, but she isn't uh, that, that's the person like i don't really get it. not <laughs> like yeah. she's taller than a few of them but yeah because she's like you know, she's statuesque she's a, a supermodel right <laughs> yeah yeah but not like Tall enough to be the big boned girl. No, because you you don't really get that impression. But you know they are showing her picture all the time, so people do know who she is, and she's caught immediately. Mm-hmm. And she is brought before Lord Over and uh, her dad, and her dad. Yeah, <laughs> who has who has also been caught by General Rykov. Yeah, and Rykov has been like. Uh, inquisitioning the dad like you are here to as a spy for the overworld aren't you no i'm not <laughs> yes you actually are it's like no i fell down a hole you you, you must understand i mean it's cool I'm, I'm excited to find the center of the world it's part of my life's work but you know they, they don't get it <laughs> they do not get it it's like wait um, a second you this was a surprise find <laughs> <laughs> i don't believe that that's too convenient yeah yeah like the whole time the general is like yeah they're going to invade us so we have to invade them first her being and... as dim as she is really should be the giveaway to the whole thing whereas like she did not find herself here as a spy she fell come on <laughs> yes and that's what Lord Over eventually yes. decides is like, yeah, no, this this woman is not a fucking spy, you guys. Come on. Yeah, Lord Over, he's like very uh self-aware. He he's you know, he gets to do the the comedic cutaways in the the end credits and everything. because uh, he, he is the goofy one. It's like, yeah, this is silly. <laughs> <laughs> I love his perpetually oh, wait, no, spinning chair. That's yeah, that's crassus. I'm, I'm no, Lord Over, you don't really get a good look yeah, at him. He's he doesn't like do got a puffy wig and a mask yeah. and a permanently spinning chair. Yeah. <laughs> so he has to like move, keep moving around to face her. Yeah. Weird choice. So yeah, it looks like everything's going to work out great. Lord Over's going to set them free. But then Gus breaks in to set them free and all hell breaks loose. 
have a great big fight with all the soldiers. Yep. <laughs> and it's like, all right, well, my professor buddy has knows how to get you to the surface. He's got a machine to do it, so we'll just escape here and go out, go over there. Yeah, Professor Galba. Yep. Uh, who is like, kind of like the mirror opposite of Professor R, the dad. Uh, Mr. Sack Newsom, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he uh he's kind of like a hippie philosopher sort of guy. He feels like a Timothy Leary type. Hmm. Uh like but yeah, like Professor Sacknewsom, he was also ridiculed for by the academic community for suggesting that there is a surface world with people there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they they would make friends, but they're actually arguing over the minutiae of the details of their research. It's kind of funny. Yeah, they're they're very uh they're they're super academic types. Again, it's cartoon stuff, uh, mm-hmm. and, but they they realize that the whole building is uh, a spaceship that they can escape in, that they like they can use to get back to the surface. Yeah, they don't though. He's like he's got this machine or he, because sorry. Right, he has his own ship. It's again, it's the fucking Wizard of Oz shit where it's the balloon. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's their balloon. version of the balloon. Yeah. Yeah, like like it is a balloon, <laughs> and yeah, no, they're just marveling that the government house is a spaceship. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's like what? No, it's not. What you're talking about? But it is, and then yeah, but it and is, he, of course. And then they have the ship. I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of just like one to the next. Yeah, yeah. They've got like their rock qual- crawler. The general is chasing them, and Crassus is chasing the general. And just as they're about to escape, the general's like, hey, I'm actually going to arrest you. And then Crassus punches out the general. It's like, yeah, it's just okay, leave. You, I, I, I prefer if here. you just dealt with your own problem. Just go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, just go. Don't ever tell anyone about us. Uh, don't come back. Definitely don't come back. Yeah, I'm and... going gonna, gonna to go on TV and say you guys don't exist. Just please leave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I'll be able to continue whatever my political ambitions are. Yeah, you guys are blowing up my spot. Just stop. (laughs) Yeah, so so they escape. Yeah, they they take the balloon up, they get back to the surface. uh, They, yeah, as they're escaping, it cuts to black and she wakes up. She's like, it was a dream and you were there. Right, it's, it's a weird fake out. Where it, it wasn't yeah. a dream, though, which it I'm glad, because that would be such bullshit. I would have I, I, I would have been against this movie if it yeah, was. Yes, it, it would have, like, knocked it down a fair amount in my estimation, but just like, no, it wasn't a dream. You just fell asleep. Again, it's very in, in character with her that she would oh, yeah, <laughs> fall she... asleep the next day and wake up and like, none of that really happened. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't really talk about it, but she's like also just randomly falls asleep at the strangest times. Yeah, <laughs> and then that's... she wakes up in another world because she just that—that's her experience of things. She doesn't have object permanence. <laughs> oh, I guess Atlantis wasn't real, and <laughs> Dad's like, she's no, not it there anymore. Was. was North Africa real too? <laughs> <laughs> He's <laughs> like, oh my the god! Beach is that real? She goes to the beach and she runs into <laughs> her her ex, and he's like, "Wow, you're really hot." But my voice hasn't changed, and I still don't, 
I still don't like doing fun things and I'm a nerd. And it is what most establishes him as a slime bag because he's there with another girl and he just drops her instantly to chase after her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she's just like, well, screw you. I literally don't need you for anything, actually. Yeah, you're lame. I, I realize that you're right and that we have nothing in common. And then, of course, Charmin shows up. Yep, with his leather coat, uh, a blue jeans and white shirt, and a oh, motorbike. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He looks like James from <laughs> Twin Peaks. Another time, another place. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, oh, wow, that's crazy. And then the end credits hit, which is like, again, weird. Uh, <laughs> very strange ending, uh, because he's the only one who transcends awareness like he he is his character from below even though he's not yeah um i don't get that <laughs> i mean it's the fairy tale element that this is explicitly sure. a fairy tale at the beginning so she oh. has to end up with uh prince charming at the end well yeah they even say like she lived happily ever after yeah exactly and yeah we as the credits are going we got our cool 80s power ballad uh we've got Crassus on the news being like, there are actually no aliens, and you all just imagine that time that we asked you to look for Wanda Sack Newsome. Yeah, uh, it didn't happen. Uh, l- let's just forget all the- forget the whole thing. We are at war with Underground East Asia. We are. Something we have like always that, yeah. been at war with Underground East Asia. Exactly. <laughs> Big or Lord Over loves you, not Big right. Brother. Right. Uh, but yeah, yeah, a fun movie. Uh, it's uh, I think it's better than its reputation since it's mainly known through Mystery Science Theater, and there's there's a lot of love in it. You know, yeah. the, the set design, all of the lore. Uh, it's it's fairly irreverent. Mm-hmm. It, it really though does remind me of like like those seventies and eighties and even nineties like disney made for tv little kid on big adventure movies yeah she has a very weird little kid energy to her the whole performance that is strange it's it's i don't know how i feel about it ultimately Mm -hmm. like i i I keep forgetting that in the first half at least that she's 25 ish right but yeah she feels like she's playing eight uh, and it's does. it's ridiculous, but then you know she's getting in all of these romances and stuff, and she's still not really playing an older character. So it, no. it does make it sort of a weird fit. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, weird movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really strange. Um, but you know, not terrible. There's some there's stuff I like. There's stuff I don't. Uh, I do really love the set design mm-hmm. the, and the, the costumes set... and all that. Yeah, they're they're very impressive. I could, I I feel like I, on paper, I feel like I could do without the voices, but if the voices weren't what they were, I think this movie would be less interesting. It, it would be less distinct. I mean, certainly it's, yeah. it's a very major element of the movie and it's sort of the only thing that draws her and Gus together. Cause Gus, it's, it's weird. Cause he's, he's what would normally be the romantic lead position yeah. in the movie but he's just this dude who helps her a few times and then the his thread is left behind at the end because he doesn't come back he doesn't come yeah. up to the surface with them no it's implied he gets back together with the bartender right but i guess yeah maybe maybe that's in the sequel mm. uh but yeah it's, maybe. it's just it's, it's it's a very strange vibe all of that 
yeah feels like it's part of part of a bigger whole even though i'm sure there was no intention to ever make any more of these i mean part of it i guess probably comes from it being based on journey to the center of the earth where, right of course yeah, yeah that is an, a classic adventure novel and stuff so they're probably using a lot of that but yeah there, there's definitely just they they built it with love and there's so many details uh that they didn't need to put in there but give it a lot more life mm-hmm They've made it feel like a real place, and we're only just visiting a fragment of it. Yeah. So before we head on to part three, do you want to talk a bit about The Zone? Uh, yeah, Joe I do. Joe Swanberg's uh, The Zone. Because we talked about both of the other Silver Bullets trilogy, you Now both of us have watched The Zone. Uh, <laughs> uh I, and yeah, I didn't understand what you were saying when you described it last week. It's It's uh, hard to describe when you haven't seen it. Yeah, but uh, it's this whole thing of at least three layers of reality that I'm aware of. We have the film within the film that they're shooting, which is with this guy, Kentucker. Kentucker Oddly. Great name. Yep. (laughs) Great, great name. Definitely. Definitely an uh, indie film scene name. Yeah, I mean, this guy does direct movies. There's a few of his that I've been meaning to check out. There's one called uh, Strawberry Mansion that looks really fun. Uh, that's quite recent. And there's Silvio, which looks interesting. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he's this in the film, within the film, within the film. He's the stranger who's seducing the three people who live in an apartment. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it's not super clear what the film within the film within the film is about because it kind of doesn't get finished. Right. And it's, it's, it's more of a theoretical concept than it is a movie. Although they do critique the film within the film because we sort of watch it as well. Uh, yeah. that, that's what I'm talking about, how the the layers are hard to figure because it, it's hard to say where you're at at any given moment. So, yeah, you, you've got the, the layer of the film within the film and then the making of that film. Yeah, which is like Swanberg, you know, Swanberg editing, uh, negotiating or navigating personal drama with his with himself and his stars. Right, so th- this one, uh, Caitlin Scheel, who was uh, the main character in Silver Bullets, is back, and she's the one who's jealous in this one, because uh, uh, her, or no, is it, it Sophia? It's Sophia's the Sophia's jealous one. Sophia's the she, jealous one, okay. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, she's jealous because her boyfriend is, in this movie, her boyfriend is doing all these sex scenes with uh, Kentucker and so Caitlin Scheel. So she, so she, yeah, <laughs> they're they're in them together. It's it's the the threesome that really sets things off. So Larry, her boyfriend, uh, is the other main guy, and Larry sees coming from a mile away that she's yeah. going to get jealous. Larry, it's like Larry's the most self aware person in this movie. He's also the one who has the most salient critiques of the movie within the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's basically like saying like, hey. I'm just saying it'll make it easier for our relationship if you direct me to kiss her when you want this to happen. I'm telling you that this is how this is going to work best. Right. And And he sees Sophia's. Sophia is weird about it. Sophia is a real. uh, Sophia doesn't really want to uh, 
allowed. I, I guess his character is just Joe Swanberg, right? I don't think yeah, he's playing. Yeah, I think he's playing himself. Well, they're all using their actual names. Right, that is true. In the film, within the film, and in the film. Yeah, which makes it hard. I mean, that that's part of the confusion. And factor. outside of the film. <laughs> and outside of the film, because there's also the layer of reality, reality, or simulated reality that's uh, supposed to be the our level reality. But uh, any, anyway, the, the thing is, I feel like there, there's even this issue where Swanberg, he gives them an out where he's trying to provide relationship support for them in the way he directs the film. Because there's that part where uh, Larry has to masturbate and he's like, I don't really want to direct it myself. Maybe I can get Sophia to do the filmmaking and she can be the one to direct you. Yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> it's almost like relationship therapy through film at that point. He's like, okay, maybe you guys can figure it out this way, and I'll just get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um it's, it's interesting because even though he's playing a different character in all three of these films, it feels like he's learning from the experience of the previous two here. True, true. And he's like very together. He is uh, just trying to be professional, even though ultimately he gets fed up and is unable to finish the film. It sort of isn't his fault. It is kind of mostly Sophia's fault. It is Sophia's fault. So the second half of the film basically just turns into art history. Yes. And uh, <laughs> as right down to the ending, yeah, because it it is the exact same moment where they're doing the threesome, and Sophia just suddenly attacks Larry while the rest of them are doing the scene. They're like, "Hey, everyone's just like, <laughs> what the fuck? What the hell?" Well, She's like, "No, no, I'm okay. I'm okay now. I just needed yeah, to get well, it out." And it's like, "No, it's over. <laughs> you, yeah, you're nuts. I've been saying this for the whole movie that we were heading this way." And she's like, she has all these conversations with with swanberg sophia and him talking where she's offended by the very idea that his film could harm their relationship because it's fiction you don't have that power over me and he's like okay i don't want to act like i have power over you or anything like that i'm just saying what i'm seeing every day through the lens okay yeah like sure (laughs) i don't cause your relationship to disintegrate but if your relationship to disintegra- disintegrates because of the movies that I'm making, I still feel implicated and shitty because of that. Yeah, which is completely fair. Th- this is the one yeah. where he's the most sympathetic character, or the, yeah. the most sympathetic out of the three. He's fairly sympathetic altogether, although we also have the framing and framing and framing where his wife character reviews the film within the film. is like, well, it's kind of just art history again, though, isn't it? You're just complaining yeah. about making movies. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, unlike art history, we see what happens after the big blow up where it's like Swanberg's like, no, I'm, I'm walking away from this film. This film is not going to be finished. This happens every time and I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah. And he, when, when he's defending it to his wife as the film, the, <laughs> Because like as we've just watched a whole film, and there's a couple points where this happens, where we see the the film that they made, which uh, I, I meant to get back to that with Larry critiquing the film within the film mm. within the film, because they have the different sex scenes, and it ends. Oh with yeah, him having sex with an invisible man or something, because like yeah, Kentucker doesn't really want to do a sex scene with him. 
yeah, it's like, well, I mean, I don't want to do a sex scene with Kentucker either. And but he like, certainly doesn't want to do one with me, but it does kind of seem like you're giving yourself away as a straight because you're focusing on the lesbian scenes and the and the, the straight the straight scenes, scenes yeah. and really shortchanging uh anything uh male oriented. It's like, yeah. Yes, you're right. (laughs) So we'll have to try to shoot the sex scene without Kentucker, because I guess he's gone. Yeah, Kentucker's off to do another project. And also, this is also what leads to the masturbation scene, which uh, he's uncomfortable doing. It's like it is for the good of the film. So he's sucking it up. And it, it is sort of a contrast with him really sort of putting himself outside of comfort zones for the good of the film and her sort of being pushed out of her comfort zone and pretending she's going to do it for the good of the film. And then it just, it's rolling downhill because she's internalizing instead of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. When, when Swanberg though is giving the first time the speech about how, uh, how like the, the films and the director can cause relationship issues. Mm-hmm. And when he's being all, okay, maybe I'm not saying I have the power. I think he's like describing this, Ouroboros, like a snake eating its own tail of like yeah. he makes the film but it has relationship issues and it causes problems so he makes another film to explore these issues and the problems but that film causes relationship problems so he makes another one and I feel like that hypothetical concept is maybe what the Silver Bullets trilogy is about Yeah, I guess it, just it, it digging can... himself kind of deeper until he just walks away from it it's it's a real dig up stupid kind of thing uh yeah it it, <laughs> it, it is weird because they're all sort of exploring the same thing but each one is from a different perspective so to speak mm-hmm. and he becomes a different character in each of them and he yes. becomes much more uh self-aware through each of them as well as the films become much more self-aware oh yeah like it takes until the third film to really see why this is a trilogy but yeah, it, it really telescopes. Is. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. After like the resolution of they're not going to finish the movie, <laughs> we really get his wife critiquing and is like, "Well, you're just making art history again. Come on, <laughs> you're just complaining about making movies, and then you're making a movie complaining about making movies about complaining about making movies." And his fucking bullshit explanation is like, "Well, no, because it's a metaphor for me just getting burnt out." I was like, come on, that's a stretch, yeah. dude. Yeah. She's like, come on, that's you. Do you think an audience is going to watch that and get and take that away from this? I was like, well, I guess not. <laughs> I mean, I kind of did, though. It's sort of there, especially if you've watched the other two. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it's it's fun. Well, that's the thing. I don't think the zone works as a standalone. I, no. I think you have to have watched the other two. Yeah. The other two do stand alone. True. This one is absolutely a meta commentary on both of the others, whereas the other two do sort of work as individual pieces. I think all of them gain power from uh, association. They're they're all much more interesting as a trilogy than they are as individual pieces, although I do Mm -hmm. think both one and two are more interesting in and of themselves, whereas three is really interesting as an examination of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, but you wouldn't want to start with three and if you did you would have no clue what the fuck is what you wouldn't have a clue i mean you you just need to see all of them to really get with it but just the 
the humor of the zone is so much funnier having seen especially art history especially because then you have the wife character being like well it's just the same movie again <laughs> yeah and and i was even thinking at the yeah. time of watching it that like man they're just doing art history but like it's not as believable this time because like even the, the, the way that she jumps into frame and hits larry during the sex scene it's the same move as her the the other lady attacking him in the pool in the previous movie <laughs> yeah <Stuff. it's... laughs> but like so what do you think do you think the wife critique scene was added after the fact when he realized that he was making art history again or was that always going to be the plan i think it's always the plan but it's hard to say because these movies are all like thrown together really fast uh, silver bullets is a couple of years before but art history in the zone were both 2011 and i think he made like five other movies that year Oh my god. So time was compressed. <laughs> I, I do think it was the plan from the get-go to yeah. have the trilogy end this way. And they talk a bit about it in there there's a pretty good booklet that comes with the set that uh goes especially into detail on the zone and how uh it, it was sort of this improv project and that the inclusion of the actor's own critiques of the movie was essential to the movie itself. Oh, so like this is what the actors actually thought of what he was making. I think at certain times it is, which is why I'm, I'm saying there's maybe that fourth layer of reality where some of it just is actual our reality. And then there's our simulated reality. And then there's the movie within the movie. And then the movie within the movie, within the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Man. It's Everybody listening right now is like, what? It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's mumbleception. Uh, but you know, it, okay, yes, that's the best way to describe it. There we go. Yeah. Movieception, mumbleception, mumbleception. Uh, but overall, like, what do you what do you think overall regarding the trilogy at this point and this one in terms of those? Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, it it took me. Like, I I don't think like I didn't enjoy Silver Bullets as much at first because I didn't really get what he was doing when that was the only one i had seen right uh i i like silver bullets a lot more now and i i do think it's still the most standalone so if you're only going to watch one watch that one yeah but i strongly recommend watching all three yeah i do feel like all three are essential to the the full scope and i yeah i, I agree probably silver bullets is the best as just a standalone movie it's just you sort of need the others to enrich it for it to be as good, or you at least need to watch it a couple times. And yeah, maybe art history for me would work best as just a standalone if I had not seen the other ones, just because visually it's very appealing and it sort of like it, it's the one that's sort of the most pure in dealing with this concept of uh making sex scenes in movies and how that affects interpersonal relationships on the making side of the movie, especially on an independent level. It, it works pretty straightforward in that. Whereas uh, the, you really need to have seen art history before you see the zone. Oh yeah. Like yeah. the zone is incomprehensible. If you haven't seen art history, the, the zone is art history sort of looking in a mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Okay what is art history really let's let's see let's look at that <laughs> yeah 
Uh, but yeah, I, I, I've, I've definitely enjoyed uh, digging into these. They've been uh, pretty cool movies. Yeah, uh, and good, good points of discussion. Like, there's good, there's, there's some good discussions to be had. I, I kind of wish we had done the trilogy as one episode, but yeah, but then, I'm, I'm glad we covered the rest of them afterwards. Yeah, it would have been a lot to work with it there, but yeah. it's, it's uh, fun to dig into them over time. Uh, so, do you have any last thoughts before we head on into part three? Our fucking stacks awards. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, no. Um, yeah, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Got nothing prepared for that. All right. Well, we'll see you soon. I miss my dad. <laughs> and we're back for the second annual stacks awards. Woo! we've been going for two years two years 200 ish movies <laughs> oh my god that is so that is like more movies than i probably have watched in my life prior to starting this show i mean uh, I, maybe I, not. As, as you can see with me it's uh, it's, uh it's i don't think we're way. close to you <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know it's it's been a fun way to talk about them and uh dig deeper into certain types uh, really a very wide variety of films we covered this past year oh yeah there's there's a whole bunch of films that i never would have watched if it weren't for the i mean most of the stuff on here i probably wouldn't have watched and like we we touched on a lot of major directors this year a lot more than last year it did make the choices quite a bit more difficult for me this year for most sections like there's only a couple of them that were like i mean i know what the answer to this one is for sure yeah i i, I had a hard time with with a few of them too yeah some of them are tough uh some of them i mean i haven't fully decided but i'll talk my way through them when we get to them <laughs> i think you may uh, be I, in the same case <laughs> i oh i am i've got like there's a couple where i've got like three or four and i'm just gonna see where the vibe of the conversation goes excellent so um, I, no, I please. gave myself a special rule i tried not to represent the same movie twice unless you know Unless it absolutely had to, which there was a few cases there where it did. Interesting. Uh, I was not at all uh, being conscious of that. <laughs> there are places where I have the same movie for two consecutive awards, and it's pretty much a lock for both of them uh, in at least one case. Mm, fair enough. And some of them are more ambiguous because uh, when we're talking about uh, director, best director, do we consider best director for just one film or do we consider best director for the scope of films we've covered in the year? For me, I think yeah. it's the scope. I I agree with that. That's kind of how I went with it. Mm -hmm. Although for me, best director was the easiest choice to make. Interesting. I had a little trouble with it. It's still... There, there were like three really strong choices, but the number one, it's, it's, it feels really indisputable, even though, I don't know, I, I still feel like, I mean, so many of my favorite directors we covered this year and some <laughs> of their best films. Yeah, we, we covered way more good films than bad films this year. True, true. And the trash that we covered was really good trash. So even the best trash award has some competition. Oh, it. that was a tough one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't think I disliked a single film this year. Yeah. Uh, so before we get into the awards proper, shall we announce next week's picks? Oh, yeah. Let's do that. So we're each doing a pick. We're not doing a watch stacks or anything this week. Obviously, we're 
going over all the other stuff. Uh, we'll catch up with that next week. Uh, so we're each doing one pick, uh, one pick for the other person to cover. So Shanna's taking the first oh. pick. Oh, I'm, I'm picking for you to cover. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, because I have a lot to say about this film. Exactly. Uh, you'll you'll have much to say about it. Oh, oh, I see. Uh, and then, <laughs> right. So what this is, this is a film that was, I'm going to say for better or for worse, very influential on the person who I was, at least in my early 20s to my 30s. I don't know how well it's aged since then, and I don't know if I'm even still going to like or agree with it, but I'm talking about Fight Club. Already mentioned in the episode when we were talking mm-hmm. about back in part one. I've rewatched it fairly recently. I caught it in uh, second viewing in theaters uh, at the same theater I originally saw Mission Impossible 2 at, as a matter oh. of fact. I, I saw it uh, at the University Heights, the University 4, which no longer exists. Oh, yeah, that's gone. All the good theaters are gone. <laughs> it wasn't a very good theater, to be quite well, honest. It's really sh- sure. shabby and small. Uh, but what I it, saw a lot of great ship movies there back in the day. <laughs> like I, I also saw Snake Eyes there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We might be talking about that movie here. It, it might show up in a couple places. It might. Uh, but so yeah, Fight Club uh, for our uh, main feature next week, part one. Because uh, uh, yeah, also just totally fundamental. One of those movies that I watched, like I said, I watched it five times the day it came out on DVD. I've <laughs> seen it upwards of two hundred times, probably. I don't know if I've seen it that many times, but it's <laughs> one of my w- most watched films. Oh, completely. And it, I, I find that it uh, resonates really well because it is a movie about toxic masculinity, and it is explicitly a movie about toxic masculinity. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think when I watched it when I was younger, a lot of the themes that it went into went over my head. And I think I took a lot of the wrong lessons from it, which is very easy to do. Many people did. Uh, mm-hmm. I was always very much on board with it. I was scholarly in my approach to it. I listened to all of the commentary tracks. So I was fully aware of what they were trying to do. I went back and read uh, Polinick's book, which uh, it's not great, honestly. It's yeah, it's okay. Really? It's the the book is the movie is better than the book. <laughs> I, I like I like Polinick fine. I've read you know four or five of his books. They're all sort of okay. There was one Survivor. Uh, one one called Survivor that I think was the best one. There was going to be a big movie of it that was in production around 9-11. Then it got canceled because of a movie about someone hijacking a plane. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they didn't like to do that no, in that time period. That was the end of it. Also, I think he was going to be played by Kevin Spacey. So it was a really cursed production. Oh, ooh, ooh. Maybe it's better it didn't work <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, maybe it's better. Maybe it's just all good that that uh, went under, but it's too bad. Uh, that the no movie ever came of it. I don't think ever anyone would make it now. Maybe yeah. sometime in the future. People have made other Polinic books into movies, uh, but not good ones. <laughs> from, <laughs> from my understanding, I've seen a bit of them. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that yet. Uh, next week, our second pick is going to be, we're going to return to the Al Adamson box. We're going to do Psycho a Go-Go. We're going to do Fiend with the Electronic Brain. We're going to do Blood of Ghastly Horror, because they're all kind of the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> I've been meaning to get back into that, and 
I was looking at the list. We didn't do Adamson this year. We didn't touch him the whole year. I, I have been thinking about that too. You mentioned it a few weeks back and it's been on my mind. It's like, I wanted to do, I, I do want to revisit these. They're so much fun. And this seems like a good way to just come back to it hard with 101, do uh, the the iterations of an Adamson film. And I guess mainly focus on Psycho a Go-Go and then just sort of talk about the changes made across the other two iterations. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because one thing I was thinking of as I was thinking about going through the Adamson box set off and on here and there is that doing a one movie at a time really probably isn't the best way to do it. I mean, sometimes. This, sometimes. this, one's, this one is technically just the one movie, but I think uh, it it is more interesting to talk about in the scope of how uh, an Adamson movie exists and how they're these living documents until someone actually likes them. <laughs> someone will buy it. <laughs> but it, the, the other interesting part is that it degrades. Like each iteration is worse than the other. The first version is by oh. far the best. And we're not even seeing the unadulterated version, right? Because the original <laughs> is called Echo of Terror. And then he added some go-go stuff and some music and shit for it to be Psycho a Go-Go because no one would buy Echo of Terror. Right. So that's the version. <laughs> we have version two. Oh, so, so we can't <laughs> even watch version one. Doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> oh, shit. So anyway, those will be our movies next week. Fight Club and uh, primarily Psycho a Go-Go. We'll dig into that disc of Adamson. This is going to be so much fun. It should be a good time. So into our awards for the year. Uh, I, I guess as with last year, we'll do kind of the same order. We've added a few categories in. We've got some new ones, some lightning round stuff at the end that I guess we'll do. Maybe we'll, we'll slip those in between screenplay and director. Sure. Sure. All right. All right. So I uh, hope no off script shenanigans occur. <laughs> Keep your, my wife's name out of your mouth. You know, like drive over here and slap me for something. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on. I need to pause and go to the uh bathroom. No, just just answer, vamp for time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now answer your door. <laughs> uh, so as with last year, our opening awards are for the villains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is one of the ones that for me the baragon award our most lovable villain <laughs> some strong competition for this but this is one that I was agree. just a total lock for me oh yeah maybe the the biggest lock of the bunch oh really yeah, yeah. okay uh do you want to go first with yours uh sure mine's connell cochran from halloween three the great dano hurley no kidding. That's that's who I picked too. It's it's such a perfect pick. Like I mean, we <laughs> the reason we did it and we talked about it so much in year one is how fucking great of a villain Dan O'Hurley he is, and how how much fun his uh, prank on the children, <laughs> <laughs> and how he just accepts his defeat with like delighted applause. Like, oh yes, you got me. Good job. And of course, uh, you know. You'll never guess how we did it. It was very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> we had a time getting it over here. Incredible. Uh, but then but... he also goes dark with his like oh, yeah. ghost story. And of course, the, the way he does the kills, they're very gruesome. Like oh, when yeah. he kills that one family with, with the masks Oof. and the testing of the masks. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the parents don't even die from the masks. They die 
from the bugs that come from the masks. And the bugs and snakes. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's weird. He is strangely lovable because he's a kook who's playing a prank, even though he's, you know, an <laughs> old druid maniac. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He, he just does it all with like this lighthearted, almost whimsical energy. It's it's weirdly lovable. I mean, that's Dan O'Hurley. He, he's super fun. You'll remember him in Last Starfighter as well. Was uh, one of the buddies there? Oh yeah, right. <laughs> he's he's like the the friend alien in that the main one. Oh cool. Oh yeah, yeah okay. So uh, we we should get into our runner ups because I think both of us probably had a couple. Uh yes yes. So do you want to do uh, yours first? Uh yeah. So I I've actually had a few here, mm-hmm. but uh, my number one runner up. <laughs> and he's also my runner-up for the most hated villain. <laughs> is it is, Yamamori? Uh, it's Yamamori, the <laughs> crying Yakuza piece of shit. <laughs> he's so irritating. He just he he's just like such a manipulator. He's mm-hmm. fascinating. Like I'm really ex- excited to see him develop over subsequent movies because he's in the next few, I think. In the Yakuza, I, I think you were saying he was in almost until the end i think so i i believe he's in all of this series yeah he's such a perfect contrast to our uh our hero what is it? i can't remember his name now who's like full like honor bound like traditional yakuza right yeah he's very uh extremely strict i mean we it's our shipping charts thing that we were talking about yeah. in the episode. <laughs> it's like okay let me just make sure nobody's getting offended in what we're doing here so if you attack him he'll attack him and then him will attack him and then you're gonna fight a land war in germany and you don't want that you don't want it uh so my first runner-up was the penguin in batman Mm. 66 no good one he's so much fun in that movie i really love him doing uh being undercover as admiral schmidt lap (laughs) (laughs) that's obviously the penguin (laughs) like let's just play this string out robin we'll we'll figure out what kind of scheme he's hatching (laughs) and i mean all of the batman 66 villains could have fit in here they're all a lot of fun penguin just stands out to me because he's just the most gleefully absurd and i love burgess meredith so much yeah his his ridiculous cosplay as a naval commander (laughs) Like I'm also a really big fan of Riddler and uh, Frank mm. Gorshin as Riddler, but mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't have as much fun in the movie as Penguin. True, true. Because um, Penguin has his whole submarine and his whole field. <laughs> it's awesome. Yep. <laughs> uh, do you have more for? Uh, I have level? one more runner up. Otherwise, right. we'll be here all day. Yeah, uh, Ricky from Silent Night, Deadly Night Two. It's <laughs> a pretty good pick. He's a lot of fun. Sister Margaret do the score. <laughs> and all of the eyebrow acting, just <laughs> tremendous, unparalleled. Mother Superior. <laughs> my <laughs> my other runner-up is Donald Pleasance as Blofeld in You Only Live Twice. Mm. I, mm, I very just love classic. him so much. He's so much fun. He's the great over-the-top Bond villain. He is the blueprint for Dr. Evil. Yeah. And, and Pleasance always looks like he's having so much fun when he's on screen it is true even in like his latter day kind of sleepwalking stuff he 
does find something to entertain himself. I just remembered when you posted that clip of him at the Wendy's salad bar. Oh, yeah. In <laughs> uh, Nothing Underneath, I think. Oh, I, I don't remember, remember which one it is. It's it's some weird 80s yellow. Yeah, bizarre. So moving on to our most hated villain, the Harge. The Harge Award. I don't think Harge even won the hated villain in the first one. I'm not sure. He was definitely the most iconic uh, most, yes. just word wise, the Harge really sells the villain. It's, uh, it's a great name for an award. Referring, of course, to Harge Aird, the Harge evil Aird. husband from Harge Aird. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> the evil husband from Carol. Yeah. Uh, cast a big shadow last year. It's a, a, mm. a phrase we used quite often, the Harge. Yeah. Uh, so, what's your most hated villain of last year? Uh, I suspect. We might, there might be some overlap with this one too, as I picked the Witchhammer guy, Booblig the Inquisitor. Ooh, very, very good pick. Uh, yeah, you know, I would have to agree with you. That is, yeah, I think I do go with that as my number one guy. My top runner up was Yamamori. Mm, I, I had him just in most hated rather than most lovable, but I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he is a, even though he's hilarious and fun to watch, he's a fucking bastard oh, he is a piece he sucks <laughs> mm -hmm. but he does not suck as much as Bublig, who mm -hmm. is just truly the most awful ever <laughs> uh in my list of runner-ups i had uh bloodstream anyone <laughs> <laughs> all humans <laughs> uh, only the dog is is innocent <laughs> yep uh, i had Kiefer Sutherland as Bob Wolverton in Freeway. Oh, he was he was on the short list, but he wasn't he wasn't quite at the top. Yeah, bubbling uh, under. Yeah, bubbling under. <laughs> uh, I had the dad from Sound and Fury. Oh yeah, that one's a good one. He's sort of another weird middle one because he's he has so much fun. fun with it. All his shooting guns in the house. Yeah. Uh, what my other major one is Otto Kruger as Tobin in Saboteur, our big bad. Oh, oh, the Nazi. The, uh, the Nazi <laughs> yeah, like the, the Nazi, rich, like rich guy. Yeah, the fucking rich Nazi sympathizer who's, uh, uh, you know, sending intel to Germany. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I was sold on him as soon as he just pointed at a book that said <laughs> the death of a nobody. It's yeah like, man this guy knows how to intimidate good shit i mean that's also that great hitchcock visual storytelling mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so uh any further for your most hated villains? Uh, anyone else one you wanna... more is yeah. uh he although he technically redeems himself at the end i'm going with the salim the brother from slumdog millionaire Ah, yeah, yeah. What a uh, fucker! He'll he'll turn up later in my list as well. Oh, uh, but he's I I didn't really consider him as a villain, but yeah, he kind of does sort of fit in that category yeah. too. Yeah. Well, staying kind of in the villains arena, who's our worst cop this year? And boy, there was some <laughs> fucking competition. Uh, there was, but only one person could be the winner. Uh, <laughs> we might have the same one here. He created a drug deal out of thin air to catch some bikers that he does not catch to 
try to prevent a governmental massacre that he does not prevent. <laughs> I got stone cold Brian Bosworth. <laughs> See, I I was so conflicted with him, so he didn't end up even on my short list because is he the worst cop or the best cop? He's just not doing anything. <laughs> well, he does so much, but it's it true. doesn't it doesn't help. But it doesn't. Yeah, it's so weird because it's like he's doing passive resistance and it just never works. <laughs> and just, he keeps not doing things until they become a crisis. <laughs> Which, yeah, I guess that does put him pretty squarely in there. He's definitely a good pick. My strong number one was Inspector Goda in Jailhouse 41, our main antagonist to Scorpion. Oh, the, the cop who loses his arm. And oh, no. Then he... Uh, I'm not, he, he does a lot of stuff. He's just like the main antagonist in part two. Oh, wait, sorry. Two is the, I'm thinking did, of three. Yeah. I, I can't remember exactly. Can't keep them all exactly straight, but yeah, he's the main antagonist in two. Uh, and you know, it's, it's the prison escape one. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one who like brings in one of the prisoner's parents on a flatbed truck and points guns at them. Yes. So yeah he's my guy he's, he's he's pretty fucking awful he's on the list uh in terms of just <laughs> stupid and useless cops which is more in the the <laughs> the stone cold area i had paul from santo versus dr death <laughs> he didn't do anything <laughs> worthless completely pointless did zero uh needle did not move uh, similarly the dumb cop in black christmas Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right <laughs> he, he's also my short list and of course just hashtag yes all cops in ambulance oh oh yeah, yeah. boomer <laughs> cop is on my list yeah uh, he he was he almost got on my list for hated villains yeah he kind of feels like he's almost there but then he's sort of not the villain in the movie there sort of isn't a villain other than institutionalized violence yeah i mean you could argue that Gyllenhaal is the villain, but he's really the protagonist. He's weirdly a protagonist who's forced to become a villain by the end, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, so is so is the main guy. Um, what's his name? Well, no, uh, he no, he ends up. He's yeah. pretty straightly the hero. Uh, he, yeah. He's forced into a situation he doesn't want to be in, and he, he maintains his cool as best he can. Well, well, he does solve the problem as best as it can be solved both of them sort of do it's it's yeah. a sort of a self-sacrifice in a way so moving on or any any more worst cuts uh, nope nope i'm good because i mean there, there there was a wealth i did have to cut down my list too <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's crazy uh worst henchman uh this one was easy for me this one i went with uh i can't remember his actual name it was like tilo or tivo from patty hurst i wish i was fucking black <laughs> i didn't think of him as a henchman but yeah i guess that, that would be a good pick uh i had a couple that i'm still not totally sure which way I'm, i want to go with so let, let me throw my two at you that i'm wrestling with all right so johnny cool in backlash oh <laughs> the the one yeah. who couldn't decide whether he wanted to uh kiss or kill our hero uh <laughs> just, just so wound up in himself yeah that's right i forgot about him uh, and my other one is jumper in the stone killer 
Oh, which one was he? He was the guy who just, it was similar to our main uh, henchman last year where he just kept failing and finding his way back to people. And <laughs> he, he's the one that they, they started shooting at and were chasing through the desert. And then uh, Bronson shows up in a helicopter and saves him. Oh, right. <laughs> I guess he's not able to save him, but he, he tells him where to go with his dying breath or something. Yeah, I remember now. <laughs> My my runner up was the entire villain team from Stingray because none of them is <laughs> they're all henchmen. None of them is enough yeah. to be the villain. Yeah, they they are each a henchman without a, a leader. <laughs> yep, that's pretty good. I, yeah, I guess I would probably go with Johnny Cool, Johnny Cool in Backlash because he was useless and it kind of just constantly escalated the situation to the point that it tipped off our hero before it needed to be. <laughs> but nobody i don't think anyone in terms of henchmen this year quite comes close to uh the guy who gets in the crate no no one touches our guy from la bounty he was a true blue <laughs> awful henchman in just the most perfect way yep so next we got best death this is a real competitive category it is but i went with an not necessarily like a satisfying one, but more like an iconic one. I went with uh, Fry falling off the Statue of Liberty. Oh, interesting. Mine was another really major iconic one, Sonny in The Godfather. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, just Again, just super iconic. The, the people jumping up from either side while he's at the checkpoint at the... Uh, yeah. Pay, paying the fare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was, yeah, that one was, uh, that one was a lot. Uh, but yeah, the that's Fry definitely a runner-up for me. Yo, yeah, and of course, yeah, Fry falling off uh, the the uh, the torch is pretty classic. Uh, in terms of new hotness, something we covered really recently, Mrs. Palmer in Killing Spree is up there for me. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Just <laughs> freaking claw hammer. The the claw hammer, the mandible getting ripped off is totally incredible. Such an <laughs> unexpected piece of totally extreme gore in no fi cinema. It was really great. Yep. <laughs> Similarly, uh, that, that's a great one. Oh yeah. Similarly, I got to shout out Emilio in Mission Impossible, <laughs> getting his fucking eyes gouged by the elevator spikes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, do you have more runner-ups for best death i do have another one at least um oh gosh I, I you know i can't think of any right now i had a hard time like remembering how people died i just remembered that they did <laughs> oh man that's i mean i because i watch so many horror movies i think of movies with the slasher mentality how like the the great death scenes really stand out to me. So in that that lens, also Kevin Bacon uh, in Friday the Thirteenth, the original with the the arrow up through the neck is classic. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. So moving on from our uh, negativity for a bit, how about uh, best kiss? <laughs> this one I I also had to think about because for me. I, I remember that they do kiss, but I, 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 I never I like remember how the kiss goes or how good the kiss is. So for me, best kiss is more like the circumstances surrounding the kiss, mm -hmm. leading up to the kiss. Well, the, the atmosphere uh, of the kiss is very important. Yeah. In that regard, this time, I chose David on David in Alien Covenant. 
Hmm. It is a very good pick. It's one of my runner-ups. Yep. My number one was fucking Amal. <laughs> that was my runner-up. The the kiss in the back seat. Uh, at the when when they're hitching the ride with the guy and they start kissing when they've pretended to be sisters. And he's like, "What the hell is going on here?" <laughs> yep. <laughs> that one. That one had to be my number one. Uh, of course, Benedetta, an important runner-up. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, but not a lot of other ones really came to me. I mean, there's certainly a lot of kissing in uh, the Mandicos, all of the Mandicos, but I don't know oh, if yeah. any of it's great. <laughs> um, oh, uh, you know what? A runner up is every single kiss in Virana, even though mm-hmm. fair, <laughs> even though it's not actually romantic and they're usually about to die. But true. Yeah. God. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good call. And I, I don't think Virana gets represented anywhere else in my list. So, oh, I've got Virana a couple times. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, so, any others for best kiss? No. Uh, no. I, I think, I think I'm good with that. So, best romance. I had a bit more uh, options, but I still went with fucking Amal as my number one. As did I. It's a good one. It it's very sweet. Mm-hmm. And just like the whole public nature of it is like oh my god if i say no i'm not going to be in this romance but if i say yes everyone's going to know about it and then she does it anyway mm-hmm. yeah it's it's pretty excellent it uh it, it uh has a really sweet 90s energy that <laughs> mm-hmm. uh yeah i don't really see these days yeah um my runner-up is uh uh jenny lamore and what's his name from Orfez. Yes, that's also my top runner-up. Um, and because they're great, they're so lovable. Mm-hmm. Even though they're both fools and they make all their own problems, by the end you're like, oh, I really want to see them get through this. <laughs> they seem so sweet. Mm-hmm. My my third runner or my second runner-up, I guess, is Slumdog uh, Millionaire. Oh, that's my no, actually, but that's. <laughs> It was all. I like that one. Yeah, it, like all three of those were the ones I was strongly considering as my number one. Mm, yeah, no, not that one. Oh fuck, I forgot what I was going to say. Now. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. Well, oh, I do okay. have. I do have an additional runner-up if you want to think about it a little bit longer. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so it's the boxer from Shantung, the forbidden romance that couldn't be. <laughs> oh, brother Von Tansi. <laughs> yeah, Tansi. Of course. I mean, it, it had to be re- represented there. Oh yeah. Uh, that movie gets represented elsewhere in my list. Oh yeah, it's gonna get represented again real soon in mine. <laughs> real fucking soon. <laughs> um, fuck, I, I I still don't know now. <laughs> oh well, if it comes back to you, we can uh, sure uh, return to the the ballot. So next one, yeah. uh, as suggested, we've got best fight scene, and oh, this one was like a real head scratcher. There's so many options. Yep, uh, I had a hard time, but what I ended up going with is a uh, boxer from Shantung, Brother Ma versus everyone with an axe in his chest. Yeah, it had to be. It was my. It was the one that I ended up with, and I had three others that were so close to being number one, and then like oh. further runner-ups after that. <laughs> what were some of your others? I, I didn't really have runner-ups for this one. The Invisible Kicks. In Dirty Ho. Oh, that's a good, that's the, great. It's a big payoff oh. of the Invisible Kicks is such a perfect moment. 
Mm, actually, I did have a runner-up from that movie, uh, Dirty Ho versus Crimson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where where he's where Crimson is just being moved as a mannequin. <laughs> yep, and kicking his ass. Truly cool, and like she poisons him in the course of it unknowingly. Yep. Uh, I also had the visual K sequence in Shogun's Shadow. Oh the, yeah, where yeah. they had the big battle to the uh, great fucking hair metal. <laughs> yeah, when the hair metal came on out of fucking nowhere that was big yeah it just oh. for like the music is the big part of that i i don't even think of the battle as much but it made it so much better yep <laughs> <laughs> oh that that's a good one and the other one that was almost number one for me is the big climactic uh handcuffed between two cars sequence of body parts oh yeah yeah that's a good one fucking tremendous uh and honorable mention the sudden chaos in the dmz shack in uh joint Uh security area Mm -hmm. because that one's a hell of a fight scene but it's not as fun as the other ones for various reasons my next runner-up stretches the definition of fight scene as mine does uh (laughs) (laughs) uh lady versus alien in abortion machine mm. men pod that's a very good one yeah yeah i mean it's it's not technically a fight but she is overcoming an antagonistic force using her wits and cunning and yeah it's and a I, fight there's really nowhere else that that would fit really i mean i it's sort of represented in another category for me a little bit but yeah i mean that is a hell of a fucking scene yeah, so a- any other fight scenes? Because those were my big ones, but I mean, I could probably just keep naming them because we did so much kung fu. Big brawl on the Batman submarine. Pow! Yeah, that one's a classic. That one's pretty good. Uh, so another real competitive category, much more competitive than last year for me, is Best Animal. Oh, I... I had trouble thinking of ones to fill this with, actually. I recall that being an issue for you last year, too. I I didn't have as much last year, but there's a few for me. And the one that seems like the dominant one is the dancing chicken. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, Mm -hmm. Okay, that just made my (laughs) runner-up list. (laughs) The, The dancing chicken just seemed really dominant to me. That was kind of my one, but I do have a couple other runner-ups. What else you got? What do you got for him? I got the dog that is chewing on the severed arm yeah. of the female prisoner scorpion <laughs> heck yeah that's that's my other one of my other runner-ups too yeah just this cutaway scene that's not connected to anything else we're just hanging we're just catching up with the arm and uh dogs dogs eating, found it yeah there, there's a dog eating the cop's arm uh all over the place in beast stable uh yeah excellent no that was one of mine and of course the vampire dog in last man on earth oh yeah rip vampire dog <laughs> the little um the little crochet rat hamster thing in great yokai war oh yeah uh uh tsuneka uh, shori yeah. that's it yeah something like it's a snack uh tsuneka shori something like i remember that. my romance that. yeah <laughs> I, I remember the Ooh. best romance what is it what is it? what is it uh danny devito looking guy and hot girl from snake and june oh yeah <laughs> once they solved their shit 
it's kind of sweet ultimately by the end ultimately it yeah. just takes us a, it's a journey it's a to get journey. there yeah so best kid uh this is a tough one uh for me i, I had one real definite top one hmm. i went with uh young jamal from slumdog that was a very good one one of my top runner-ups uh maybe like the best performance of the bunch oh okay uh my number one is Anne in shadow of a doubt the, oh, the Lisa little, simpson yeah the little girl who knows better than all of the adults who's way ahead of the case <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's not even the main character so she's just doing her own thing she's like man i don't like what's going on around here <laughs> <laughs> by the way uncle charlie's a murderer but whatever you're not gonna you'll figure you'll find it out, out later they're gonna <laughs> they'll find out when the man from the east gets runs into a propeller <laughs> <laughs> a couple of runner-ups uh the old man kid in virana oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> big fan of him really stood out to me he doesn't get a lot to do but uh, and bruno in sound and fury my next runner-up also came from sound and fury uh jean roger Jean Roger. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Jean Roger is the is the main one. Bruno is is Bruno the, the main character who's no Jean Roger is the bully who okay. has the shitty dad. Okay, yeah, I went and with Bruno's Bruno, the main guy. But yeah, interesting. We we both went with the the two kids from Sound and Fury. That's cool. Not that I think Bruno doesn't deserve it too. He's great. They're both excellent. Yeah, no, they're they're both really good. Hmm. Uh. So in contrast, worst kid. I had trouble with this one. This was a much tougher one than it was last year. I agree. There, We had more good kids than bad. We really did. Uh, and I feel bad for the one that I did pick. <laughs> uh, well, mine is Salim in Slumdog. So it doesn't really hurt too bad because he was your one of your most hated villain runner-ups. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess if you pick like... I mean, I was thinking worst kid performance. Oh, yeah. see, I, I don't really think of performance. I was just thinking of the kid I hate the most. And yes, yeah, Salim. He's such oh, a yeah. fucking well, for... dickbag. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I, I agree with that. Well, I'm changing mine then uh, to the useless uh, future Shogun from Shogun Shadow. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> uh, my, my original one was going to be... And I felt kind of bad because I was doing it based on acting ability. And these two kids are not actors, but the kids from the Chooper, when they <laughs> tried to deliver exposition that one time. Uh, yeah, th- those are just uh, uh, Ray Dennis Steckler's kids. <laughs> yeah. And like <laughs> hanging out on set. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, I feel bad about this, but that was a shit performance. <laughs> yeah, not much for performance, but yeah, these are more uh ephemeral choices just the worst kid the kid who sucks the one who annoys you the most uh so the other one i got is the friend the quote-unquote nerd friend who gets grenaded in child's play three. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty satisfying <laughs> so a big competitive category this year best trash oh yeah we had some good ones some good shit uh, yeah they're I don't know who my top one. I know what my top two are, but I don't know what my top one is out of those two. Interesting. Interesting. Well, give me your two. Uh, another day, another man, and the Chooper. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I mean, I, 
I guess in against another day, another man is that it's a cut and paste movie that's sort of pieces of a bunch of other movies with new narration. Mm-hmm. Whereas Trooper is sort of its own strange little art piece. Uh, it's definitely one of my big runner ups too. Uh, I, I didn't, yeah. I don't know. Uh, my number one is Sting of Death. Oh yeah, William Griffith's was... <laughs> jellyfish monster movie. <laughs> that was so long ago. The only thing I remember is the uh, effects, quote unquote, <laughs> the, the the jellyfish head. Do, you don't remember <laughs> all the shag carpeting and all the different colors as he walked over it? That's the, like the first thing <laughs> I think of. And of course, do the jellyfish, the terrible oh, Neil yeah, song. Oh yeah, do the jellyfish. <laughs> do the jellyfish. Uh, yeah, the, the little mini jellyfish that are just plastic bags filled with stuff. <laughs> clearly just cla- plastic bags in the water uh, and they, they killed that whole fucking school <laughs> entire <laughs> class um my other runner my my another my next big runner-up is spookies mm, that is a that's a great one because like the production of it was was trash it just went through so much <laughs> what a mess shit. yeah and the people who made it do come out of it feeling that it's trash and they hate it so yeah. i yeah. i do feel that i can call it trash but i also love it so it's the best trash <laughs> yeah <laughs> just, no, just like sting of death it, it's it's so much fun i loved the spookies mm-hmm. do you have any other picks for best trash um i mean I mean, yeah, I could have gone deeper. Those are my big ones. <laughs> we, yeah, we could have gone deeper. Um, I had I had Killing Spree on this list. Killing Spree is a good pick. I do have Killing Spree elsewhere further, too. Uh, I, I, I would also consider, uh, what was my other one that I was thinking of? Deranged. Deranged kind of belongs in there. Yeah, deranged is trash. But it's good. <laughs> it's though. good. It's good trash. It's like really good exploitation garbage. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, doing a fake true crime movie that's really close to the true case, but just choosing a fake name, even though it's a really famous case. And then, and then the freaking seance sex scene. And the fourth wall breaks with our, our guy who's just a, <laughs> oh, yeah, a he reporter. Just shows up in the frame. <laughs> he just like walks into his living room and, you know, Ezra's back there. Like, what the hell are you doing here? Good, See, good, good stuff. I didn't consider that one as a trash movie. So that's fair. That didn't even get on my list. Yeah. I mean, jo- totally just a, a runner up thing. But yeah, that, that one's great. <laughs> so next four uh any any more trash ones you want to uh no i i think i've i think i've got them all i i wanted to put lucky seven on here but oh. even though it was one that like that i had watched myself and we didn't cover it that wasn't this year no that was last year that was a that was yeah. A, yeah that was when we did uh kung fu wonder kid which was not this year <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, where's Kung Fu Wonder Kid on here? And I'm like looking at it, I'm looking at the dates. I'm like, oh shit. I think that might have even gotten a couple awards last year. It did. <laughs> it did. <laughs> so biggest surprise. Hmm. I have a couple. My first one is uh how much I loved Prometheus versus how much it was hated when it came out. <laughs> That's a good pick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I saw it when it came out and liked it and thought everyone was like, you're, you're really over internet nerding about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Agreed. That's a good one. 
Uh, my first pick is Ambulance. Oh, because I yeah, I oh, really the... did not expect Michael Bay to do a real fucking face turn here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, Michael Bay isn't who you think about when you think about a cab movies. And and not only that, like I he's been in the wild with these fucking awful Transformers movies that I hate for such a long mm-hmm. time. To him, for him to just like come out of nowhere and make one of my favorite movies of 2022, I mean, I'm very impressed. Yeah, yeah, no, that that was a good movie. Uh, one of my runner-ups is Christopher Walken not doing a Christopher Christopher a traditional <laughs> Christopher Walken performance in Dead Zone. Dead Zone, yeah, that, that one is like again. That's one I grew up with, so I I couldn't be surprised by it. <laughs> uh, well, I I sure was. Yeah. Uh, my other one for that is Virana, because uh, you know I've never really gotten much into Bollywood. The ones I've watched have been mixed on Mahakal. Can't touch Virana. Uh, the music in it was just so amazing, and just it had an incredible oh, yes. vibe. Yeah, yeah. Another biggest surprise for me was finding out how much Hitchcock is in every other movie. <laughs> yeah, Hitchcock, uh, just especially those Diplomas. We've done three Diplomas. Mm-hmm. And, and like I didn't bring it up, but the uh, the spiral staircase admission to Paul oh, yeah. or the Mission Impossible. Impossible. That's straight out of Vertigo. Uh, That's his Vertigo shot. Yep. He's got to do it. <laughs> and he did that in Snake Eyes too. You gotta <laughs> just if there's a spiral staircase, you got to do the shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, one thing I didn't mention about the Mission Impossible: hmm. the security room didn't have any cameras that is weird right i mean (laughs) it's it's how they had to write it so the you you do all the elaborate parkour stuff to get in but they can't be seen but how does he get through the cameras well let's just make it so that he doesn't have cameras cameras. (laughs) then he can rappel down yeah because this is secret spy stuff so you wouldn't want cameras recording it uh oh yeah Mm. you'd have to destroy the footage can't have someone looking in at what's yeah. going on at that terminal. No, that's a good point. Somebody could be in the security room and see <laughs> what he's typing, and then 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 yeah, you're you're lost. Yeah. It, it, that would be a huge security flaw. Good. Po- okay. Mm. Interesting. Right. Interesting. Right. <laughs> we we yeah. worked it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> this one, next one, was my biggest lock of the bunch, best franchise series, because. My thing was, I, I felt it couldn't be a director because we've got a best director category already. Yeah, and that's a competitive. That's already a competitive one. So competitive. Yeah. So, what's your best franchise series? I, I'm betting it's the same as mine. Uh, even though we only actually covered one movie in this franchise, I. It made me watch the second one instantly. And we're talking ah, about the Godfather. the Godfather. That's a good pick. That's a, uh, mine is Female Prisoner Scorpion. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Just it, it was see, such a lock. We did three of them. They're all so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah, that, that's another really good one. That'd be maybe my runner up. Because with all of the other ones, it's just we didn't do any additional entries in a series this year. I think we yeah, we we uh, we kept the variety up. Yeah, there's a, a lot of different stuff. <laughs> so Scorpion kind of just wins by default then. Kind of, yeah. That's why I was like, it's sort of a total lock. I couldn't figure which one could beat it because we did three of those and they were all great. I mean, I love yeah. The Godfather, but I wasn't even thinking of it as a series. In, in I, I only was because I just happened yeah. to watch the second one 
instantly afterwards. Totally. Uh, and yeah, Godfather kind of gets shut out of a lot because of other stuff that we've watched this year for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Doesn't doesn't win as many awards, although of course it got uh, best death. Mm-hmm. So best cameo or small role. Uh, oh man, there's this is a good one, but <laughs> I have a couple of really good ones here. Uh, do you want to go first on this one? Okay, my number one from Eyes Wide Shut. It's Alan Cumming as the 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 hotel concierge who's so into tom cruise and tom cruise does not understand <laughs> yes oh that's that's a great one. Oh man that one's really good <laughs> my first one is the omelet guy from oregonian oh that one's good he's almost kind of one of the main characters though. <laughs> he's i had to yeah I, I mean i had to really think it's like is this a cameo or is he a main it's tough to say yeah he shows up a yeah, bunch cause... but he doesn't know. he both does and doesn't do a lot he mostly does the omelet thing yeah uh one that is definitely a cameo and definitely fits the spirit of this award though is we need the money <laughs> oh yeah yeah that one's a really good one that guy Bankman in strosek like, yeah Bankman in strosek he's for me, at least, he has become a meme. <laughs> yeah, and he's so funny. He's, he is going to last. Well, anytime I think of just the the shadiest, lamest, capitalist, asshole, dickbag, it's always, we need the money. <laughs> it's so good. We don't want to foreclose your home, but we need the money. Uh, my other big one is Luca Brasi in Godfather. Ooh. Because what a iconic little bit. He's he's in like two scenes. He has him rehearsing his speech and you have him getting offed and they're perfect. Yeah. And every time, everything about how badass he is, you're only hearing about that from other people. Mm-hmm. You don't get to see him do anything. Well, he, 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 they they, they well, send he him on an undercover sorry. mission, which is not a strong suit. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I'm Luca Brasi. Um. I'm Vito Corleone's right hand man. I love him. Anyway, I'm gonna. I'm I'm join turning you. my back on him because he yeah. he disrespected me. I'm like uh huh uh huh sure. And we're just gonna <laughs> get in behind you with this thing. <laughs> yeah. Why are you still wearing a heart shaped locket with a photograph of him? <laughs> oh, I forgot to take it off. <laughs> uh, you got a lot of things. I got lots of jewelry, you know. <laughs> Uh, do you have any other uh, cameo um, <laughs> cameo picks? Uh, oh gosh, I, I just had one. Shit, I would throw in Tiger Tanaka in "You Only Live uh, Twice." Yeah, love Tiger Tanaka. Oh, oh, um, right, of course, the old man, little kid from Virana. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I had him in Best Kid, but yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, best score. This is a really fucking competitive one this year for me. I'm just going to have to list off a whole bunch because I can't pick one. <laughs> it's it's tough. I, I had it narrowed to two. I think mine is for a few dollars more just for it being so fucking iconic, but really tough to choose that over Virana. Okay. Um, I picked 2001 A Space Odyssey again because it's iconic. Totally. But I was thinking, actually, You Only Live Twice could be a runner-up. Way up there. That's a really good yep. score. It's it's one of my runner-ups as well, as as well as The Godfather. 
I do love that uh, fucking yep. classic. Uh, uh, and also, Gemini is a runner-up. Gemini me. is good. Uh, I would say for songs, not so much as score, but Lost Highway and Train Spotting both have incredible soundtracks. Mm, agree. Yeah. Agree. Uh, so maybe maybe we'll need to add that in next year. It's a best soundtrack. It's a separate one. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. So uh, yeah, uh, do you have any more uh, best score ones? Because uh, there's also Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, Friday. That's a good one. Uh, that that definitely counts. I was thinking uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. The the piano. <laughs> Boom, 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 boom. It's good stuff, yeah. A, a, a lot of really strong ones. And uh, also Blood Rage is just an incredible horror synth score. Oh, yeah. Love that yeah. one so much. Uh, best aesthetic. Uh, this one I went with Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, it was it was my lock for that one. Best aesthetic is Eyes Wide Shut. The, just the, the Christmas lights and the beautiful photography just every fucking frame of that movie looks amazing yeah um seriously like thinking about it it's grown on me i was like is eyes wide shut really the best one because is it even really the best looking kubrick but then i realized it made me purchase christmas lights for my (laughs) for the interior of my house so like you know (laughs) yeah i mean i had a lot of runner-ups but eyes wide shut kind of couldn't be beat yeah. So 2001 uh, as well is one of my runner-ups for sure. 2001 was the one that I thought might beat Eyes Wide Shut, but right. didn't. Yeah. Um, Gemini was one. Right. Uh, I had both Wild Boys and After Blue. Oh yeah. I love the Mandico are... look. Yeah, yeah. Even <laughs> whatever I feel about the Mandico content, I love the look. Yeah, they they look incredible. Uh, so also Logan's Run is one of mine. Man, I love those oh, sets. Yeah, that fucking future yeah. mall. <laughs> uh, the gel lighting of Black Sabbath. Oh, uh, Bio Zombie. Bio Zombie, a good that one. Fun. Uh, and my yeah. other big one is Two Orphan Vampires. Oh, I love that movie, and I I couldn't think of a place to put it in here, so we'll put it there. Nice. I've got it in a couple places. Okay. Uh, so any other best aesthetics? You know, I think I think I'm good on that. Uh, we got the we got the big ones I wanted to hit. So MVP, this was a tough one this year. Last year was such a lock for for Wingshauser. Uh, yeah, totally undefeatable there. Uh, it was it was a tougher one this year, but I had really just one pick. Okay, who 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 was yours? Miko Kaji. Miko Kaji. She plays Scorpion. Ah, yeah, I love her. She's fucking amazing, and she makes those movies as great as they are. Like the direction is also a big part of it. Those those movies look amazing, and they have such a vibe. But she's so good. She's really good. My main one I picked was a bit of a cheat here. I picked Ed Gein himself for inspiring all these slash movies we watched <laughs> to exist. Yeah, that's true. He's come up quite a few times in discussion. Yeah. But if we have to pick someone who's actually appeared in a movie, I would say, yeah, Miko Kaji. Miko Kaji is or, strong. Yep. Yeah, or uh, Jasmine. Mm, Jasmine. Yeah. <laughs> Iconic. Yeah, for, yeah. For Virana. Uh, I don't 
I don't know if he's been in more than one movie we've done this year or not, but Donald Pleasance is a front runner. Donald Pleasance is always up there. Yeah, I don't know if he's done much. Like he was, I think it's, he was Bond. He was in you. You only live twice. Yeah, and I know we saw a few others, but I don't think we covered him. There was that one where he turned into a pig. <laughs> American Rickshaw. Yeah, we didn't cover that one. Uh, yeah, and he's not in Halloween three. Yeah, it's the one he's not but, in. Yeah. Hmm. And like for the same reason, I want to pick Nicolas Cage, but he was only in the one movie. <laughs> yeah, that that was what sort of and, made this one tough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard. And if I were to pick the most influential person who was involved in any of these movies, then it would just be redundant with the best director, right? Yeah. So exactly I, that that was another thing yes. I thought of. And of course, going back to best franchise series. There is also the option of Alien and Prometheus, the, those ones. Oh, that's true. We did two of those, but... And they were both really good. But Scorpion defeats it for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. Not really a contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, funniest movie. This one is fucking brutal competition. Uh, I had an easier time with it because nothing made me laugh as much... Okay, nothing except for the runner-up made me laugh as much as Strangler versus Strangler. That's one of my big runner-ups, too. That one's so good. <laughs> uh, my number one was The Oregonian. Oh, that's on my list of runner-ups. I laughed a lot at The Oregonian. <laughs> uh, my first runner-up was Inspector Ike. Inspector Ike is also in my runner-ups. Yes, so good. Uh, I would also have... Batman 66, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> uh, Deranged is pretty hilarious. Deranged is very funny. I have also the Hudsucker Proxy. Oh, yeah. And Jesus Shows You the Way to the Highway. Other, other really <laughs> tough ones to pick from. But yeah, Oregonian is the one that takes it for me. Uh, Strangler versus Strangler. for. Oh, and that's who I... Who else I wanted to list as a runner-up for best score is Strangler versus mm, Strangler. Right. That very memorable. That, like, the strangling song. Yeah. And then like the pop strangling song. Yeah, which was actually pretty catchy. It was catchy. It worked. So scariest movie. This was easy. I had no trouble with this one. Interesting. I had three uh, solid picks, but one of them is definitely the one. Yeah, for me, it was Black Christmas. Black Christmas is the one. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's terrifying. Like, I, I don't find horror movies scary for the most part, but it just has such an energy to it. It's very deeply disturbing at the end. Yeah, like, he's, he's still there. He's just still out the there. Attic. Yeah, he's, he's out there. Yeah. They didn't catch him. I, uh, <laughs> they didn't know. <laughs> it's like watching that with my parents at Christmas time. <laughs> it's like, well... What happened to the the guy? Who didn't like they didn't catch him. <laughs> Just saying, like yeah, they he got away. <laughs> yeah. He's still out there. He's still in the attic, and she's still sleeping. Not anymore. Uh, well, yeah, man. the phone's ringing. Oh yeah, right. My other two runner-ups are Lust Highway, because it's just a weird nightmare vibe that's really excellent, mm-hmm. and Shivers. Okay, the contagion. They felt very prescient and very oh, of the moment. Yeah. Because it's also a mind virus. Everybody goes fucking crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hungry for love. (laughs) Make love to me, Janine. 
Uh, so next we've got, I, I guess let's, uh, do we want to do best performance and actually let's do best effects next. Sure. Uh, and then we'll go to the lightning ones and then do performance screenplay director picture. Yeah, let's do All that. Right. Okay. So best effects. This one was a pretty huge pick for me. It had to be 2001. 2001 was definitely on my list, but I ended up going with Fast Five. Fast Five. Uh, I mean, awesome action sequences. Yeah. Uh, pretty unparalleled in that respect. But I was, for runner-up, I was thinking, of course, 2001. I was also thinking uh, a little bit little bit outside the box here with uh, Rope. Rope, yeah. I mean, with that awesome backdrop that slowly changes over the course of the movie the the way he creates the whole movie out of one shot Mm -hmm. i actually read somewhere online that hitchcock didn't like how rope turned out yeah because it 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 felt a little awkward to him it's it's this issue where it's sort of what i was talking about with it where it feels it's super ambitious but the formalism of it somewhat gets in in the way of the uh, like you don't have the freedom to do everything the way you'd normally do it it's a little too locked down and it kind of uh it doesn't allow him to move around as much it, it's a little more static man uh, yeah, that's true it that those are legitimate criticisms uh my other one prometheus is the other really big oh, one yeah that was on my list just thinking of uh the again the med pod scene or the med pod scene uh, any any of the stuff with like the the 3d imagery that they do that uh, actually i should say that the med pod scene is a runner-up for scariest oh yeah that's a good pick too uh and on sort of the outside the box end i had a couple of those as well spookies i love the creature effects and mm. spookies the creatures and spookies were good they are so good so much better than you would expect and in the same vein i got killing spree for its crazy gore <laughs> um i i'm gonna Shout out here, uh, Bloodstream for maybe not best special effects, most but special doing effects, the most with the least. <laughs> yeah. Like the fact that he did all these different special effects, like yeah. 13 different effect shots on this shoestring budget. Yeah, all the other and, movies he made in the movie are, yeah, that the definitely is a good call. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's amazing that he that he pulled it off. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, do we want to do a screenplay next, or then where we jump into most emotional? Let's do a lightning round, and then one of the big ones, and then a lightning round. Let's go back and forth. Okay, so... Break it up a bit. So, most emotional. The one that just really hits you in the fucking... Uh, this one... <laughs> for me, this one was uh, JSA, Joint Security Area. It's up there for me. It's Strosek, number one. Stroisek was my number two. Stroisek is so good. Uh, do you want to also do the lives rent free in your mind? Because it kind of dovetails with this one. Because uh, yeah, yeah. Stroisek was a big runner up for that one for me too. Uh, for me, living rent free in my mind is The Trooper. The Trooper is a good one. Witchhammer is my number one there. That's a movie that haunts oh. me. That's a, a one that feels all too relevant that sticks around too uh-huh. much. Uh, and the other one that just, I, I'm always thinking about it because it's such a fun mind puzzle is Exterminating Angel. Uh, you know what? I I wanted, I don't have that anywhere on my list and I wanted it on there somewhere and I couldn't figure out where, but it's so good. 
it is an awesome um, it's gonna be a runner-up for something then i've decided oh yeah because it has to be on there I've, I've got it as another runner-up uh in the next category screenplay best screenplay oh that's a good that's a good pick for that for runner-up but what's your number one the godfather uh... <laughs> I, I had to give the i had to give it to the godfather in one of these big ones because it gets shafted out just barely in in a couple other places hmm I picked, I picked, uh, I actually, I couldn't decide because both of these are like really good screenplays, but they do different things really well. Mm. Train spotting and snake eyes. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I also have rear window necessarily. Oh yeah, of course. And Hudsucker proxy. Cause I just love oh. all the silliness of that and the, the way it's this, uh, just uh, the stitching gag. The stitching gag me means the, it That's has to be brilliant. in there for screenplay. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Oh, I wanted to shout out for funniest. Uh, the movie itself wasn't necessarily all that funny, but Granny's nuclear fart in uh, <laughs> Goodbye 20th, 20th Century. century. Yeah. That one's yeah. fun. Uh, so back to our lightning round ones. Best theme song. Uh, best theme song. I'm stretching the definition of theme song to include it, but the uh, happy, happy gunshot song and Slumdog Millionaire. Uh, Paper Planes by M.I.A. Mike's yeah. Batman. Well, that, yeah. 66 <laughs> Batman. <Come on. laughs> of course. I mean, sure. So yeah. Uh, you Only Live Twice. You Only Live Twice. And... Yeah. I, you know, maybe You Only Live Twice is honestly my number one. Yeah, I mean, I love that song so much. I wasn't even thinking of it as a theme song when I was going through the list, but yeah, yeah, you only live twice. Batman, number two, also runner-up Star Trek. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> we did the motion picture, mm, that theme. Yep. Because that's the one that becomes the uh, next-gen theme. Yeah, and it's it's what I think of when I think of the Star Trek theme, because I didn't watch a whole lot of TOS. I grew up with TNG. Fair, fair. So, uh unintentional greatest pairing <laughs> well the one we did this week is a good one uh, mission impossible and uh alien from alien la from la yeah that's that's a cute one yeah. uh but what i chose uh i picked the uh dirty gross shack edition or the dirty <laughs> gross shack episode of the tall tea and the chooper good one mine is uh our 69th episode being gemini and blood rage our two twin movies, <laughs> both about yeah. weird twins uh, with weird relationships, and yeah, it just worked out on. 69. And it was sixty nine. I mean, I, I couldn't give it to any other when I, when I realized that. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> that supplants mine. <laughs> I agree that nothing will never top that. We might top we, that one. We day. might. So we best might. performance. Let's, let's let's head back to best performance. Ooh. This is a big one. This one again, it was a total lock for me because of one of the movies that we did late in the year. But there are some strong, okay. strong contenders. Oh yes, um, this one I had to give to Marlon Brando, of course, from The Godfather. Very good pick. Yeah, he, he is so iconic. He won the Oscar uh, for that performance. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, if we had talked about, like, if we had covered Godfather two, De Niro, um, De Niro would yeah, be in there definitely. Uh, my and, my number one is Grace Kelly in Rear Window. 
Oh, she is God, I love that performance. Radiant. It's radiant. It's a, such an incredible performance. I love every moment of her in that movie. And she outshines Jimmy Stewart throughout the movie. And that's hard to do. Jimmy Stewart's incredible. That's hard to do. Uh, one of my runner-ups is... Yeah, shit. I didn't write down my runner-ups because I didn't know we were doing them. Well, I got some. <laughs> all right what do you got Ewan mcgregor in train spotting seems like a pretty big uh, one kind of got to have him in there that's a big that one, one was such a big uh, iconic performance for me when i saw it as a kid you know while we're while we're on that uh train i'm gonna say of course uh um tom cruise dev patel as <laughs> tom i know who i was gonna say nicole kidman in eyes wide nicole shut kidman in eyes wide shut the, tom, tom cruise and nicole kidman in eyes wide shut one of my runners up both excellent. Definitely the best Tom Cruise performance I've ever seen. Yeah, he's fantastic. I, I put it up against Magnolia, maybe. Magnolia could mm. potentially take it. Uh, I would also say yeah. uh, Bruno S. as Strosik, as himself, kind of. Oh, I mean, it's, yeah. it's... That's a good It's hard to say how much of its performance, but it's such an incredible thing. Like, uh, the, that's it's it's uh, an amazing movie to watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd also shout out Tom Atkins in Halloween three. <laughs> oh yeah. Our main guy. I love him so much. Turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> ah, good stuff. I like, oh gosh. Well, Miko Kaji is Scorpion, of course. Certainly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Do you want to move on to best line? Yes, I do. Because I, I, I have a few here. Excellent. Yeah. I got a couple. <laughs> But my first one is, uh, although I could name just about any line from this movie, they're all iconic and great. But my personal favorite is, I think we should leave inconspicuously <laughs> through the window. Uh, a very, very good one. Uh, for mine from that one would be also one of my runner ups. Uh, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> of course we're talking about batman 66 <laughs> so fucking good uh my the the one that ended up being my pick is uh the trooper from the trooper that's not the trooper he's not 150 years old <laughs> that's the other one i wrote down <laughs> i love that line so much it, it echoes in my mind all the time i always think about it there's something about it that's just so funny in terms of the delivery and the rationale there's just like no, no. I know he he's been faking to be the trooper, but that's not the real trooper. He's not 150 years old. You understand? <laughs> <laughs> there is a trooper, and he will get you. <laughs> he will get you. I'd say Daniel's soliloquy. That one's excellent. And in terms of like longer speeches, uh, I would have to say uh, F for fake. The rumination on the chapel when he's uh, sort of doing his uh, celebration of the unsigned art of the chapel. Mm. Uh, but my other one line, why is she writing all this down? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I cackled when he said that. <laughs> In killing spree. Mm. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's beautiful. <laughs> so funny. It. So then uh, before we get into Best Director and Best Picture, the Pure Vibes Award, this one was also really competitive for me. Um, I only picked one, 
And the one I picked was Star Trek, the motion picture. It was my number one as well. What a perfect fucking vibe that movie has. <laughs> yeah. So much like, fun. I was tempted to pick 2001 because, I it's mean, that's there. the one that Star Trek is obviously yeah. inspired by. But Star Trek's cozier. I like the vibe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's got a real cozy hanging out vibe. You got the whole crew. You got those weird effects when they go into hyperspace. You got Bones in his fucking leisure suit. Mm. <laughs> the music. Yeah, like, sure, the mission is, like, yeah, the mission is important and they're treating it with the gravity it deserves, but they are still hanging out and just looking at cool shit on the screen. Yeah, it's just everyone having a three hour long psychedelic experience and I'm there for it. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Star Trek The Motion Picture could also count as my biggest surprise because. Mm, I expected to hate it because everyone great it's considered a bad one true true yeah absolutely uh my other big vibes ones lost highway really high up there oh uh, yeah snake of june which you mentioned for best romance so that that one is a real fucking blue vibe oh orphan vampires Two orphan vampires would be a big runner up for me too that one is a hell of a vibe <laughs> yeah and effort fake uh, it's why uh-huh. i chose it back like i love just the the coziness of that movie the experience of just it, it's like living in a conversation with uh the orson wells for an hour and a half that's great yeah yeah and for an hour of that he's gonna tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help him yahweh <laughs> so our the the last couple really big awards best director and god this was fucking tough this year <laughs> It's so many great I, I directors. forced myself yeah i forced myself to pick one and not like have a whole bunch of runner-ups even though this would be the year to have runner-ups i, I have a big list of runner-ups but i do have my number one what's your what's uh, your guy mine mine is hitchcock it's hitchcock yeah rear window yeah. I, I with the rear window i couldn't give it to anyone else yeah i like this was the year i discovered hitchcock <laughs> i had never seen a hitchcock prior to this year uh, I had, I probably have, no, I had seen Kubrick's who was my first runner up because yes. I saw the shining and probably a few, Oh, I saw clockwork orange. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that like full metal jacket. Hitchcock was the one I just, dis- yeah. Hitchcock was the one I discovered this year. Right. And we did like a solid three or four. I think four. We did four. We did saboteur shadow of a doubt. And really, uh, yeah. And we also talked about others. We talked about. Well, we watched the birds. The birds. Yeah, we 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 didn't yeah. cover it, but we watched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it had to be Hitchcock for me mainly because of Rear Window because I think it's one of the best directed movies of all time. <laughs> just that specifically, <laughs> that movie is so incredible. Uh, it really is, and just especially in how it's designed as a director. So my mm-hmm. my two major runner ups that I had a really hard time deciding. Obviously Kubrick. You know, we did two thousand one. Mm-hmm. And we did others. Yep. We did Spartacus. We did, uh, yeah. I think, a th- Eyes, Eyes Wide, Wide Shut. Shut. Yeah. So tough call to not go with Kubrick. Had to go with Hitchcock. Also really hard not to pick Shinya Tsukamoto because we watched a bunch of great Tsukamoto this year. Yeah. Oh, man. We we might have done more of him than anybody else. It's possible. We, we did a solid. Uh, and they've, they've all been good. Mm-hmm. And of course, De Palma, we did several really good ones, but I don't feel like we did any, like other than Carrie, we didn't hit his really big ones. Uh, and yeah, but 
I really like Snake Eyes. Oh, it's, I, I like it a lot, too. I think it's uh, an, an underappreciated film. And, of course, I got to give shout-outs to Orson Welles, David Lynch, David Cronenberg, Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, sure. Cohen Brothers. We, we Kinji Fukasaki, Henri-Georges <laughs> Clouseau, Sergio Leone. I mean, we watched so many great directors this year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, Best Picture, final one. And it's probably uh, obvious what my pick is going to be. Well, I, I can guess what yours is. <laughs> um, I, I really had to think about this because I decided I had to think about it really long and hard because, you know, we watched 100 movies and I liked, I think, I at least enjoyed all of them. Some of them I really, truly loved. Mm, yeah. I mean, uh, we watched some of my all-time favorite movies this year. It was it would have been a tough pick if we did not watch Rear Window, which is my pick, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I went with The Godfather. It's my number two. Mm. <laughs> uh, Rope was actually my number two. Interesting. Uh, Godfather is uh, is up there for me. I'll give you my top five. Okay. Rear Window, obviously the number one. And we've got The Godfather. Yeah. We've got 2001. <laughs> Train Spotting and F for Fake. Oh, okay. I didn't do a top five. I mean, I just have um, all of my rankings, so it's really easy for me to pull out a top five. <laughs> right, I right. I could give you a top um, 100. Yeah. <laughs> I, I bet you could. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see. So, uh, yeah, there's obviously Godfather was first, and then Rope was second. I will say probably... Oh. Where is it? I'm not in the right page. <laughs> I'm going to say rear window is probably number three. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was something else that I really loved. Oh, eyes wide shut. Eyes wide shut. Yeah. And I'm going to say Gemini, Gemini for my fifth. Gemini is my favorite of the Sukumotos we did for sure. Uh, and, yeah. Oh, some good Sukumotos this year. Yeah. Totally. Uh, just we still have a lot left to go. Oh, we sure do. Uh, and just to, as an aside, my bottom pick of the year, and even a movie that I still enjoyed and we had fun with, is Another Day, Another Man. <laughs> that is probably the least good movie that I saw, yeah. and I still had a good time with it. We still had a lot of fun talking. Sure. About it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and I mean, even like my second bottom pick would probably be this week's Alien from L.A., which again we had a real good time talking about, and is a fun movie. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I kind of agree with that. It's one of my lower picks for this year, but yeah. still still fun. Real good time, but uh, yeah, not, it, it can't touch Rear Window and The Godfather well, no. and <laughs> Lost Highway for a few dollars more. Yeah. Battles Without Honor and Humanity. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. So, yeah, that's it. That's all our stuff that we've uh, covered this year. It's been a whole lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I still can't believe we've been doing this for two years. We just decided, hey, let's do a podcast one day. Yeah, I had a concept in mind. I had a few ideas that we've refined. Those first, like, 25 episodes are pretty rough. Like, if you're coming to the podcast sort of newer don't dive into anything earlier than like 30 until you've got, got a solid grounding in the yeah, rest. We, <laughs> we didn't really figure out our shit until then. And now we're just, we've got it figured out. We're just making it better every time. Hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. I think this is a much more organized awards than last year. We both had full lists. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, that I guess that that calls our awards to a conclusion this year. Uh, a lot of fun stuff that we've watched and looking forward to another hundred crazy movies in the next year, starting with, of course, uh, a mutual all-time favorite, Fight Club, and uh, Psycho A Go-Go at Al. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Looking forward to seeing what we what we find and what we watch and what comes out because we might even watch movies that aren't that don't exist yet next year that's true that's absolutely true i mean i'm probably going to want to see that new mission impossible because i've quite enjoyed the ones up to this one and there's that new yeah. wes anderson that's just coming out that looks great asteroid oh, city right we haven't we haven't done wes anderson i still have not watched the french dispatch i really need to get on that honestly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i i saw every other wes anderson movie other than bottle rocket in theater it was the first one I didn't see in theater, and I still haven't even watched the Blu-ray. I've had it sitting around for a fucking year. I don't know what's wrong with me. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, so do you have any uh, final thoughts before we close for this week? For this yes, year? Yes, I would like to. For this year. Um, yes, I would like to thank the Academy, the people who are you. I'd like to thank <laughs> you. Who, if you can hear this, I'd like to thank you. Right on. Uh, a toast to y'all out there in uh, film land, podcast land, internet land, wherever we are. Good night, everyone. <laughs>